no more room in hell. The dead will start a podcast. One, two, three, five. Hello, everybody, and welcome to No More Room in Hell, number 40. I'm Mike, and joining me, as always, it's Mr. Venom. What's up, Venom? How are you doing? Greetings and salutation, paisanos. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good, Mike. How you doing? I am doing well. It's uh, first episode post-Halloween, and uh, we're firmly into November. It could be our only November episode, just depending on... Hell, the rest of I think there's only like a week left of November after mm-hmm. this. It's funny because October went by so quick, but now that I'm thinking about it, November, sort of went by even quicker. Um, yeah, not for me. I, I I was a lot busier in October. It just felt like it flew by. Whereas I, I still had a few guest spots in the first half of November, but not nearly as many. So for me, it hasn't really gone by as quick. October went by like a blank for me. It literally came and went. It's like I felt like I feel like I missed it. Except for the 21 podcasts I did. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I I feel like November is more of a transition month because even though we are, even though November does have its own holiday and Thanksgiving, it seems like so much November is just like prepping for what's coming in December. So, you know, it can get lost in the mix of holiday season. But uh, also joining us as always, it's Derek. How are you doing, Derek? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I speak English good, Michael. (laughs) (laughs) No subtitles required for Derek. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, so this episode, it's going to be Derek's picks. Derek, breaking in tradition of me always forgetting um, to mention the movies at the beginning of the episode, let's go ahead and... uh, how long you let the listeners know what you picked and what we'll be talking about later? Actually, weirdly enough, we're talking about two TV movies from the land of Italy. Uh, one directed by Lamberto Bava, which was actually part of a series of movies that he, he did called uh, uh, Bravo Giallo. Uh, this one titled Graveyard Disturbance. And the second movie we're going to be talking about is a TV movie directed by Lucio Fulci known as House of Clocks. Cool. And it's funny because I'm I'm somewhat familiar with both directors, uh, but these two specific movies are first-time watches for me. So, ah, I, what do you know, right? <laughs> it happens. <laughs> um, but... We will kick off the show like we always do. Catch up on some stuff we've been watching. Uh, Venom, let's go to you for your first item. Um, let's see. You caught me off guard here, Mike. <laughs> I caught myself <laughs> off guard. Bazano. Uh, Bazano, what you doing? Um, ba, ba, ba. Oh, man. Uh, that's the God truth. I haven't been watching shit. Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to bring in some older things then that I've discussed on uh, 
guest spots I've done on other shows because that's pretty much I, I'm still on Halloween hangover. So I kind of decided to not watch as much in November as I'd like. So I've been watching more like uh, classic stuff, like stuff from my childhood, more nostalgic titles. Obviously, with Christmas coming, nostalgia is a big part of that. So uh, but I am going to talk about one that I spoke about on a Legion podcast recently. I'll talk about that at the end of the episode. But as far as the movie. It is my favorite vampire movie of all time. It is from Sweden, and it is Let the Right One In. Now, I'm sure this movie has been discussed endlessly by many, many podcasters, but this was the first opportunity that I got to speak about it to actually do a full feature review on the episode, uh, on the movie, on uh, a guest spot on another episode, and... Let me tell you something. This rewatch this week just solidified my absolute love for this movie. This movie is an absolute 10 out of 10 for me. There is not a wasted shot in the entire film. All aspects of this film are damn near masterful from the cinematography to the score, the performances, the direction, the editing. I mean, there's almost nothing to complain about with this movie, though, I'm sure... You know, for some genre fans, it maybe it's not as action packed. Maybe it's not as bloody as they'd like for your average vampire movie, things like that. I understand all those criticisms, but for whatever it's worth for me, the story of Ellie, a 200 year old vampire pretending to be a 12 year old girl meeting Oscar, a 12 year old boy that lives next to her, watching their quote-unquote romance kind of blossom because uh and i say quote-unquote because at the surface yes it is an absolute romance between these two characters but over the years the more i watch the film the more i realize that it is a one-sided romance and that potentially um one member of this relationship uh, maybe has other thoughts in their head of what they want this relationship to be um, I go into great details on that on uh, the show that I was on and, you know, just basically for a, you know about an hour and a half just fellated this movie uh, as I just adore this film. As I've already said, it, it is just it's near flawless to me. So uh, let me hand it off to my cohorts. I assume you gentlemen have seen this and I assume neither one of you loves this nearly as much as I do, but I'd still love, I'd love to hear what you guys think about it. I like it. It's pretty great. Mm-hmm. The only thing that kind of ages the movie, unfortunately, is the, some of the CGI cats shit, but that's unfortunate. It's just the time period that came out in. Exactly. But I look at the CGI cats as kind of comedy now. I just, uh-huh. I, I chuckle at them. I like them. <laughs> yeah, but it's, a, it's a great story, and, you know, I agree with you. It's pretty awesome. And uh, great performances by the two young leads of the movie. Yeah, and it's amazing that uh, the girl, Lena Lee Anderson, has only done three films and hasn't done anything since 2013. So uh, I'm I'm sure there's a bigger story behind that than I'm aware of right now. But after seeing this for the first time many years ago, um, I was convinced we were looking at a potential star. And yeah, she only did a couple of films after this, and maybe she's you know more into Scholastics. She's in college, who knows? But yeah, you know what happened? She saw the remake with Chloe Grace Moretz, and she's like, "Nope." (laughs) Cinema is now dead to me. (laughs) She's like, "I can't, I can't uh, bear the thought of them doing that to another movie I make." So uh, I'll never be in another. (laughs) 
Or uh, just want to end up like Chloe Grace Moretz and look like a fat elf. <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> as far as the movie, yeah, I saw it in the theater when it uh, initially released in America and l- liked it a lot then. I have it on Blu-ray. Um, I fucking love it. And, you know, I think I know where you were going with, like, the talk of the relationship because I do think it's, as far as the relationship dynamic in it, I do think it's one of the most misread relationships by audiences mm-hmm. on a first time watch because it's when you go back and rewatch it even just like a second time and you really focus on the motivations of every character in the movie to me it just kind of makes it i don't even i think it's up for debate really i mean i i obviously i'd be willing to have the conversation for people who disagree but to me it becomes pretty clear what ellie's motivations really are in the Mm -hmm. long run and even though Oscar's intentions, like even though he thinks something else is going on, it's really Ellie looking for her new caretakers. How I, who I, you know, how I took it. And Uh she has to, she has to rope someone in and she found like an eligible person. Um, And that's, I come to that conclusion by their actions and kind of some of the dialogue when with the current caretaker, some of the stuff he says before his, you know, we see what happens to his character and, Uh uh, but it's a great movie. And it's one that you can go back to. I, I like how it's um, it's you know a very different take on the genre in some ways. But when we do get down to like the the handful of scenes, uh, they're done really well. As far as like vampire action and stuff, like they're done in a in a very uh, effective way. And I think yeah. it's a great example of you you make the audience you know care about what happens of the characters and when stuff happens you end up carrying a lot so it's exactly it's it's very well made yep yeah depending on you know how how can i put it depending on your uh thought process as to what is actually going on in the film and what are ellie's true motivations it makes the ending equal parts tragic and heartwarming i mean that ending at face value is a very very happy ending you know you're you know Ellie helped Oscar out, you know, took care of his bullies, blah, blah, blah. But where the tragedy comes in is where they go from there. You know, because Oscar is a 12-year-old child. He's not, you know, a 12-year-old kid trapped in a vampire's body. He legitimately is a 12-year-old boy. And now he is basically alone on the road with this creature that he basically has to take care of 12 hours a day and make sure that you know nothing happens to it you know while it sleeps so yeah that ending though like i said though at the surface very heartwarming when you really really think about it it's ultra tragic to think it i mean what is the ultimate end for oscar you know that's what you have to think about um vampires synonymously do not transform their familiars even though they constantly you know promise that they will so you have to think about where is Oscar's life going in five, 10, 20, 40 years? Like, is you know, the things that Oscar is going to have to do as well. You got to think about that, you know, because Hawken, her first helper, you know, did all these awful things. And to think that now Oscar must do these things is just absolutely tragic. So, yeah, depending on how you take the uh, romance or the relationship between the two, it might change uh, the way you look at the ending, but either way, 
it is still a masterful ending and it is a very thought provoking one. So yeah, if you have yeah. not seen this movie, by all means, check it out. I, I don't know many people who would consider this their favorite vampire movie. For me, it's not even close. Like, I don't even know what's number two. That's, that's how, you know, ahead of everything. Wagner. <laughs> I mean, yeah, this movie's so far ahead of every other vampire film for me that I can't even think of what would be second place. But yeah, uh, I, I adore this film. I know I'm in the minority as far as calling it one of the greatest vampire movies ever made, but that's a hill that I'll die on. And whenever I do, you know, every five or six, you know, so years I run into someone who adores this film the way I do. It, it puts a gigantic smile on my face. And yeah. And, and then whenever I hear people say that they refuse to watch Let Me In because of how great Let the Right One In was, that that also puts a smile to my face. Because for whatever it's worth, folks, I have yet to watch Let Me In. I have no motivation to watch it. Let the Right One In is an absolute perfect film to me. And I don't like watching remakes of absolutely perfect films if I can avoid it. So, you know. Yeah. It's actually pretty good. I've heard that from many people, believe it or not. I've I've had a lot of people tell me that it's really good, that it's not nearly as good as the original, but that it does some things from the book that the original Swedish film does not. I have read the novel as well. And the novel and the original screenplay um, for the Swedish film were written by the same person, John Lundqvist. Um, so yeah, if you've read the novel, uh, even though, you know, the, the movie obviously has to be shorter. So there's, you know, they have to remove a lot of stuff and they obviously remove a lot of Ellie's backstory, almost all of it in all honesty. Um, but you know, yeah. Doesn't Ellie's backstory in the book also suggest there might be questions about the gender? Yeah, that's uh, that's actually in the. Well, it's very in the book. It's obvious that's the right one in too. It, 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 in the movie, we get the imagery, but out of con- exactly, you're right, right, Eric. That we do get like a quick scene or a quick flash of a scene in the exactly. movie. And I remember when I saw the movie in the theater, I went home and started googling about the book because I felt like in the movie, it's kind of a. a, a I think it's the flash of the scene and a small bit of dialogue that if you well, I mean, if it, you it, pair it, them together it uh-huh. made me think and that's when i looked up like okay is there more about this in the book and in the book and once i read about what's going on in the book i was like okay yeah i think i was on the right track but this kind of confirms it but even yeah. in the film ellie does say i'm not a girl she flat yeah. out says it she doesn't in the book she's not as secretive about it in the book she tells oscar i'm a boy she even tells oscar her real name, because uh, we're getting really spoilery here. But well, see in the movie, I, in the movie, I thought the dialogue was that she just says, "Well, what if I'm not a girl?" Or something. No, no, she like flat that. out says, "I am not a girl." Oh, yeah. oh okay. Uh, okay I haven't scene, seen it in a while, but yeah, in, in the scene where where she's naked in Oscar's bed, yeah. she flat out says, "I'm not a girl." But in the book, she flat out gives the entire truth, oh, like okay. with no shame. She's flat out, yeah, my name is Elias. Uh, I'm 200 years old, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, my dick cut off. Yeah, exactly. Pre-vampire, obviously. Right, right. If the dick was ripped off post-vampire, she would have, you know, he would have healed. So. Yeah. 
But yeah, there is a gigantic backstory behind her, you know, the man in the wig, all the other young boys that she was with at the time. It's just a whole big thing that takes up a large part of the book that's completely ignored in the movie. Yeah. But honestly, it's fine because it just gives a little bit of uh, ambiguity to Ellie's backstory. But I like the mystery. I like being made to think. And ultimately, because the movie is a little bit ambiguous with the story, it also made me look into the novel as opposed to Mike. I flat out bought the novel and read it. But yeah, you know, it, any movie that makes you do research afterwards is an awesome movie. And yeah, this one absolutely did it. Yeah. I was just going to ask you, Derek, because I actually have not seen uh, Let Me In either. <laughs> um, I Now, I didn't, I never flat out said I refused to watch it. It's just that when it initially came out, it seemed like it was so soon after the original, I wasn't interested at the time. And then since then, there's just never been a time where I was like, out of all the stuff I need to watch, let me go watch that instead. But Derek, does the American remake touch on that at all? Like that aspect? No, that's actually one of the things they cut out of it a lot. They make it kind of more standard in that sense but okay the things that they do change is kind of interesting because they actually kind of build more on the the older familiar character a lot more in the remake which uh it's actually one aspect of it i actually like a little bit more is uh richard jenkins plays the older familiar uh and he's fucking fantastic in the uh well spoiler alert if you haven't seen either version uh What happens to that character is not very long in the movie. But, uh, yeah, and uh, Elias Kodis, they kind of meld his character with, like, the neighbor character that was kind of spying on him. He's he's a plays a cop who's kind of investigating the murders, so they kind of blend two characters together in that sense. (laughs) And, and, you know, there's some good performances, and, you know, even – they had like that Russian dude from uh, the Dark Knight. We must hire a clown. He plays the gym teacher. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, you know it, it has some fun moments. No, I think uh, who was the kid in the played Oscar in the? Uh, it was the kid from the Road, the fucking uh, Viggo Mortensen movie, and he's pretty good. He's pretty good. Yeah, I, I've heard that a lot. Like I said, I've heard that multiple people have good performances in the film, and that it is well made, but. I don't know. Um, At this point, I've softened my stance on it. I'm not like vehemently against watching it, but ultimately I I don't have a whole lot of initial interest. I I would have to be like really bored and somehow have access to it. Like if it just showed up like on HBO Max one day or something and I'm really bored. Sure, I'll, I'll give it a shot. It's not like I am vehemently, you know, just refusing to watch it. But at the same time, I'm not that big a fan of Chloe Grace Moretz. I'm not a fan of any of her horror remakes, and I'm sure this one might be one of the best ones, but again... Yeah, it was, uh, it was like the movie she did right after she did Hit Girl, so it's not like she's not like fucking that stereotypical Chloe Grace Moretz either. Oh, yeah. sure. She, she's still the, the younger one, but like I said, just overall, her catalog doesn't really impress me, so... Um, Kick-Ass, I'm just kind of, I'm kind of lukewarm on Kick-Ass. Like, it's got some great action sequences, but she annoys me. And actually, I do like Nick Cage in it, but, yeah, she, she, I don't know, I don't know what the Your hell Your favorite scenes when Nick Cage shoots her? Um, one of, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely <laughs> say I let out an audible laugh in the theater. 
<laughs> Granted, I don't think I hated her or, or even disliked her back then. Her career was still a little young. Um, but yeah, over the years, I've just not really liked a lot of her decisions. If <laughs> any, any listeners here remember our infamous Greta review where I basically wished violence on her. Yeah. yeah you might know why I'm not a big fan. <laughs> yeah, she should do that Shadow of the Clouds movie. Oh, Jesus. And I actually sat through that whole thing, not even for a podcast either. I just, I literally, it was January 1st, and it was literally the only new movie out. So I'm like, fuck it. Uh, uh, you know, I'll be all caught up on the new movies. And wow, did I regret that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember Exploding Heads covered it. <laughs> oh, they, they must have hated it too. Oh, wow, we spent you a lot of time know. on Let the Right One In. Yeah, it's <laughs> like a feature review, Raidens. I know. I like <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, okay, so I guess, yeah, we'll cut on over and let Derek in with his uh, first pick. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I saw Last Night in Soho. I know you guys did an episode. I was going to be on that episode, but the end ended up as like, yeah, I'm just... No, I I have no idea what the fuck. Oh, I know. I had to record something else that same day. That's what happened. Uh, okay. uh, you guys recorded that one. But, uh, yeah, uh, I really enjoyed the movie. Uh, it's what I thought it was going to be like with the trailer, but then it was a little bit more. I liked how the movie was like a mystery mixed in with like this supernatural like time travel tale where this girl sees all this stuff with her dreams it's very dream logic heavy in the the very beginning of the movie and she gets a little crazy because she gets obsessed with the story that she's witnessing through her dreams and uh yeah i didn't expect the twist to happen as much as on the first time watching i did like that aspect about it because i thought you know it was going to be like oh I kind of liked how it changed that and, you know, even certain character twists that I thought were going to happen. I enjoy, especially involving like Terrence Stamps, character later in the movie. Uh, mm -hmm. I didn't see that fucking coming. I was like, what? Yeah. 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 I, um, I, I enjoyed it a lot as well. I liked the story, you know, I think one observation most people have had, whether they like it or not, is what I think the first 45 minutes, maybe an hour is a lot of setup and story, which is true. But I liked what we got. Like I, I was pretty immersed in like the sixties, uh, like the Euro sixties, you know, kind of like the swinging sixties, but over there instead of over here, I think I made the comment on fresh cuts that like, Especially for American audiences, you know, most of what we know about the 60s is through the lens of like, you know, what was going on over here. But really, it wasn't just America where you had culture changes and a shift in like kind of just the music scene and everything. The arts basically changing culture, you know, life uh, or art, excuse me, art imitating life and all that kind of good stuff going. And I was really immersed. I liked the soundtrack. I liked the versions of songs they use so by the time we actually get the horror stuff i was already really invested in the characters and really excited to see where it went and uh i thought it turned out pretty good you know i'm not gonna go over it 100 percent. just 
since we're not doing a feature review, but yeah, I, I ended up enjoying it a lot. Oh yeah, I absolutely loved it. Um, I've actually watched it a second or a third time actually, and I like it even more now. I, I can potentially see this ending up as one of my favorite movies of the year. Um, I don't know that it's actually going to be in my top 10 horror list because yes, the movie does have many, many horror elements. I'm not going to sit here and say it's not a horror film, but there's so it, it, it kind of dips his toe in many different ponds as far as like uh, sub genres that it's kind of hard to pigeonhole this movie into one, you know, it's kind of a drama. It's kind of a horror. It's kind of a, um, a thriller, blah, blah, blah. There, you know, it, it's even mildly funny at times. So yeah. And there's a lot going on in the film and it is, you know, overall, as far as like, regardless of genre, I can see it being in my top 10 for the end of the year, but it will likely not be in my top 10 horror, despite really, really liking it. And honestly, I think Thomas and McKenzie does a spectacular job. Like, obviously, going into the film, Anya Taylor-Joy is the big name actress of the film. You know, she's already got her horror pedigree and just acting pedigree overall over the last like five to 10 years. But yeah, Thomas and McKenzie blew me away. I absolutely loved her in just about every scene. Her character arc was really the one that made the film that, you know, it's the majority of what we're following. And yeah. And especially her relationship and how she came to terms with uh, Sandy by the end of the film just really, really worked for me on multiple levels. It's a spectacular film, folks. If it's still playing in theaters near you and you haven't seen it, do yourself a favor. See it on a nice big screen. It's a beautiful, beautifully shot movie. Lots of reds and blues, great colored lighting, you know, beautiful slow motion sequences, mm -hmm. you know, great. And like Mike said, you know, the whole kind of mod squad 60s English mentality is thick in this film, you know. Without the yeah, over-the-top craziness of, like, an Austin Powers, you know, uh, England in the 60s. Do it, I make you hone, Venom? <laughs> no, but Thomasin McKenzie was definitely doing something for me. <laughs> Every time she was on the phone with her, like, grandma, everything's crying. Fine, <laughs> grandma. I hated when she dyed her hair blonde, though. I was like, no, why would you do that? God damn it. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> going to the pub to get a pint but yeah i uh <laughs> this and this is one of those movies where like it's de it's not a musical but the music soundtrack performances whimsical nature stuff plays such a big part it's just it's like a fun it's a movie that manages to be really fun and then also be like thriller twilight zoney too you know mm -hmm. it's not it it definitely gets a little dark and bleak with how the story unfolds, but I, I feel like it still manages to be a really fun time too, because, you know, just like the dance number, that first dance number with, uh, Anya Taylor joy, when we get like, like you know, uh -huh. flashbacks at sixties, when she's trying to make her name known in like the clubs and stuff, how she just goes right into like, Oh, I'll show you like that. I'm meant to be here or whatever. Like, you know, I think that's the kind of thing where, like, if it was a musical, it's like, okay, is it going to be two hours of this? But this mo a movie like this manages to pull that kind of stuff off uh, just really well. Really cool design and uh, mm. choreography and all that kind of stuff, too. Yeah, for me, yeah. it was a two-hour movie that did not feel two hours. I was engaged enough that I wasn't checking my clock. I wasn't checking the phone. The, you know, the characters, the be they protagonist or antagonist were all really likable, really interesting. 
And uh, yeah, it just kept me engaged to the point that when the movie actually ended, it I just was shocked that because I knew it was two hours going in. But when the movie ended, I'm like, that did not feel like two hours. So, you know, it did a good job there. So, yeah, great movie all, all around. Yeah, for Diana. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, for my first one, my what we watch is probably going to be TV heavy. Um, so I finished up Squid Game. <clears throat> fucking fucking awesome, man. Oh. Like it where the story went with some of the characters i didn't see coming and i know a lot of see a lot of people are saying this is like similar to battle royale and i i understand what they're saying just in the fact that like people thrown into a situation where a lot of people die i understand but it's like it's not the setup's not no anything remotely for the same reason it's a lot different and why what's going on and there's different motivations there's a totally different things at stake so while i understand when people say that i, I for anyone who hasn't seen yet i want to make it clear it's not it's not the because like you i think you can make a more of an argument like a hunger games is more built off the back about a battle royale in, in a lot more ways than this and I, that's not even to like insult hunger games for what it is because it's it's what it is but i think Uh you can make that connection much more with that whereas this it's really stands on its own two feet and really great it it kept me engaged the whole way you know sometimes Uh with uh shows like this when they come right out of the gate in the first episode or two with something really shocking it's like well how are they going to keep this up because is it just going to be are they going to have to go down a road of like six episodes just constant murder and mayhem and stuff but they manage <laughs> they the story managed to be compelling enough and engaging enough where even when it's just characters talking or figuring things out or when you're learning how the story is unfolding it's just as good and by the time it ended um the way it kind of leaves it open possibly it's like uh-huh. i would not be shocked if uh there ends up being a uh, season two I mean, with the ridiculous success of the series, I can't imagine there won't be a season two, whether, you know, it continues the story of, you know, the the people who survived season one or not, or if it's a whole new story. I I think we're definitely going to get a season two. But yeah, I mean, same with me. I, I loved this move, uh, this series. It's really odd seeing people that are watching it now for the first time who maybe didn't see it when it first came out, but are watching it now because of the hype. I'm seeing a lot of lackluster reviews for it. Like people that are coming in late to it are like, ah, it's not nearly as good as people made it out to be. And, and I'm talking about like podcasters that like I respect and I'm shocked that they don't walk away with this seeing a lot more than just, oh, it's uh, it's a Hunger Games Battle Royale ripoff. I mean, ultimately, this is a series. So we spend so much more time with the characters. There's a much bigger emotional attachment to a lot of these characters. Um, and this is coming from someone who loves Battle Royale. I adore Battle Royale. I even like the second one. And. But this, like I said, because it is a, what, a seven or eight episode series, it just, the amount of time that they're able to uh, stay with these characters, the amount of mystery that they're able to kind of build on, based on the game and the, you know, the people who run it, blah, blah, blah. It's just, I I was so much more engaged with this than I thought I would be. And yeah, I loved it. So, I mean, overall, like I said, I love it. And I'm surprised that there are people who think it's lackluster. 
It's like, I mean, if the series just isn't for you, if it's not your kind of content, then you're not going to walk away loving this. This isn't going to change your mind necessarily. But if you're already kind of a dark uh, hearted asshole, like some of us here on the show, uh, the movie speaks to you. It, it's got a very, uh, how, how can I put it, petty, vindictive soul to it. And I, as anyone knows, I am a very petty and vindictive person, so I absolutely loved it. Yeah, it, it's, the, it's the series of the year for me thus far. Um, I, I still got to watch Tiger King 2. It's the only thing that could potentially, uh, you know, dethrone it. But yeah, Squid Game for me has been, you know, top-notch TV for 2021. Yeah, people are starting to talk about that show Hellbender that's on Netflix now. I haven't seen it yet, but that's no, kind of yeah, like, that's like the next one where it's like I think right when I read the article either a day ago or two days ago, it was sitting at like I think the number three. You know how they do like that top ten? Uh-huh, uh-huh. It, yeah, I was at at three, so kind of interested to see what that's all about. But um, before any of that, I really need to get on Midnight Mass. That's the one that I've been. Oh man, you are study. missing out. So good. Um, that, that's definitely next as far as TV shows. I, the main thing is I wanted to finish squid game cause I didn't want to get in a situation where I was trying to watch both at the same time and like trying to catch an episode here of this one and an episode there of that one. So now that squid game's out of the way, it's, my next focus on like a VOD show is Midnight Mass for sure. I mean, Mike Flanagan has, at least for me, because I've already said, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I I don't binge television. I don't binge watch. It's just, it's something I'm an old school TV viewer. You know, I watch an episode a week, maybe a couple episodes a week, just because I have so much stuff that I watch. Um, but something about Mike Flanagan's shows, man, he has a way of getting you to binge watch. My wife and I binge watched um, Haunting of Hill House, something we had never, ever done before. And at the end of every episode, we're just like, oh, we got to keep going. We got to keep going. We can't stop. And like I said, that never, ever happens to us. And Midnight Mass is the same thing, especially after like episode four, something really major happens to one of the main characters. And I don't know anyone who watched episode four and did not go to episode five instantly. <laughs> I mean, it's like you just can't. It's like, no, no, I cannot. I, I don't care if it's 3.30 in the morning and I got to go to work. I can't stop on this episode. I have to watch the next one. And yeah, Flanagan, not as much on Haunting of Bly Manor, but it's still there. That kind of st- that that mystery that he carries over from episode to episode. Yeah, as much as I love Mike Flanagan's movies, I'm starting to think that the medium for him is television. When he has a, when he has time to flesh out characters and get us that emotionally attached to these people, it, it just makes for a great, great series. So yeah, uh, you, you got to get your ass on Midnight Mass. Yeah, you're already you're already way behind. <laughs> You're still in the house in fucking Resident Evil? Uh, no, no. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that like four months ago? Yeah. yeah, but, yeah. Speaking of Resident Evil, next week, Raccoon City. Yep. Uh, actually, no, technically this week coming up. Uh, right? yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> um, all right, I think this started with me talking about Squid Game, so that would push it back to Venom then. <laughs> 
Uh, let's see. What do we have? Oh, uh, here's another movie that I got to review for the first time that I'd never really got a chance to talk about. That is the original Child's Play, 1988. Of course, we all know the story. Once again, I'm bringing up a movie that probably doesn't need to be discussed anymore. But again, I, you know, I was given the opportunity to talk about it on a guest spot on a show that, again, once again, I'll bring up later when we uh, when I talk about all the shows I'm on. Um, yeah, Child's Play, uh, just a fun little movie. I mean, I actually found myself liking it more on this watch than I ever have in the past. And, you know, I'm not going to say that I'm a, a gigantic franchise fan. I like Chucky. I like the series. I, I, I even like the remake. I know a lot of people hated the remake. I really liked it. Um, but I don't really consider myself like a diehard Chucky fan, uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and, I just found myself just loving all the little small details that I hadn't noticed about the movie. Honestly, I hadn't seen it in over 10 years uh, since probably since bo before it got its original Blu-ray release. So, um, so like I said, yeah, it had been a while and I just had forgotten how much really fun this movie is. I mean, if you turn off your brain, if you don't try to interject too much logic into it, you know, the story of a serial killer somehow, transmorphing his uh spirit into a doll through voodoo i mean yeah the, you really really shouldn't be dissecting a movie like this that much and honestly yeah really really great movie great performances all around uh chris sarandon you know once again does a great job as you know a, a douchebag which it seems Humber to be dink. his number one role <laughs> <Humber dink. laughs> oh man but yeah um like I said, really good effects, uh, a good, satisfying ending. Um, maybe not the goriest film or the bloodiest film you're going to find. Definitely nothing like the remake. The remake really ramped up the blood and the gore. But, you know, for the original, you know, it, it almost at times comes off like a TV movie if it weren't for Chucky's potty mouth. But, you know, obviously with all the language in the movie, it's very obviously uh, a theatrical release. But, yeah. Um, just one of those movies that I never got a chance to talk about. Got to talk about it recently. I'm very happy that I finally got to talk about it. And once again, I am going to assume you gentlemen have both seen it. So go ahead and let us know what you think. Yeah, I love Child's Play. Uh, fun fact, uh, I might be mentioning that when we talk about another movie. I know Mike has seen the other movie, too. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, I love Child. I love, the, you know, because... If you just watched this movie and you didn't know nothing about it, yeah, it would have no idea it was about, like, a killer. Well, you kind of could, but you couldn't at the same time, you know, go into a blind, yeah. you know, like I did when I first seen it. I'm like, what the fuck is with this Chucky doll and why do they keep talking about it? Because I've actually never seen, like, I actually missed, the like, the cold open of the movie before when I was younger. Ah, gotcha. So, so it was right into the part where she bought the Chucky doll from that homeless dude that the other girl was, thought was hot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, uh, yeah, if you watch it from that point of view, it's actually like, whoa, okay, this is getting crazy. You know, plus, you know, it, it spoke to me because, you know, the My Buddy craze, that was my kind of era, too, yep. of, when I was a kid, I, everyone talking about that. So I was like, did you ever see Child's Play? And, <laughs> like, you know, it's like that sense. And, you know, uh, 
Yeah, Kevin Yeager's effects of Chucky, fucking amazing. Yeah. If you didn't know, if you didn't know this, he's actually married to the main actress Catherine Hicks. They met on this movie. Oh, that's that's kind of romantic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the Seven Heaven Mom. Pat. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, yep. I dig it. Yeah, this I know is Mike loves it. One of the first movies I saw. Well, I guess technically at a well, it wasn't a theater; it was at the drive-in. But still, mm-hmm. I mean, I'll. I'll call it the uh, what the cousin to the theater is the drive-in, and uh, sure. it's definitely a staple of like my early horror fandom because I think it was what eighty-eight, eighty-nine that it came out. So I, I was like eight or nine years old, and at that time, you know, that was younger than I was normally seeing horror in the theater. Like I, at that age, it was primarily like if you know the. TV networks were running like their edited versions and syndication or something. But uh, seeing Child's Play with my dad at the driving kind of kicked the horror fandom into high gear to where it's like, well, how can I see more of these? And off to the rental store or VHS store at the time. But <laughs> yeah, I've always been pri- a fan for the most part of the franchise. But I, I think the first one, just as a straight horror movie, the first one's really good. Obviously, you know, anyone who's seen. Uh, the the entire franchise the it definitely takes a turn by the time bride of chucky comes along but (laughs) i would say the first three pretty much are a good trilogy of just straight up horror and you can see like you know how the effects on chucky and his look just get better Uh um with each movie but uh, i really think the first one's just a solid like there's not much filler in it either it it pretty much that's a quick yeah for its entire running time it's like go 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 um it's almost too yeah. fast at times because sometimes like the cop uh chris sarandon's character will ha- have an idea pop into his head without any kind of investigation or anything and mm-hmm. suddenly you know uh he's being attacked by chucky like everything just goes by so fast it, it really is breakneck at times i mean they, they crammed a lot into an hour and a half yeah i love the idea as a way to push for like, I guess we would consider Charlie Charles Lee Ray's motivation. I, I love that they added the fact that, okay, you can use this doll to like escape your, you know, your spirit can escape. But once you're in this doll, you're kind of on the clock where you have to like yeah. get out by a certain time or here permanently to the Chucky doll. Yeah. Um, so I think that element kind of helped add to the story because then it gives him the motivation to do it. Cause otherwise it's like, Hey, I could just kind of stick around and lay low as far as long as I need need to as his doll, but he doesn't really have that option. And then going to see like the old guy that taught him the voodoo in the first place. I thought that was a cool scene. And they, they, they did a very good job of making a killer doll, like more creepy than what I had known at the time, because I think up to that, I I might've trying to think if I had saw, uh, seen, you remember dolls, that movie i've already right, seen so. that already oh, yeah. i know i saw it around the same time as child's play but other than that there was like the talking tina twilight zone episode so there was a few things but i felt like child's play they they were really smart for like the first half hour 45 minutes and how they would film chucky's movements a lot of it was from pov or you would just see like the little shoes like yeah. run across <laughs> they did a good job of, of not overexposing him uh, right up off the bat, you know. Plus, they gave you the, like that little psychological thing where Andy was dressed like Chucky too, so you don't even know. Because I don't know if 
you guys knew this about the original screenplay that Don Mancini wrote. Chucky wasn't supposed to be alive at all. It was supposed to be Andy killing everyone. Oh, oh yeah. We, yeah, I think uh, um, RJ brought that up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I. you could tell. I mean, from like those early scenes, because just just the way they kind of filmed it, um, it makes sense. And mm-hmm. you could see Connor probably at, the, at what point in the movie, okay, we're actually going to make the switch to where it is, Chucky, after all. <laughs> yeah, Tom so Holland's there- Tom Holland's like, fuck that shit. <laughs> so was there no Charles Lee Ray at all in that original script? Was it just a Chucky I, doll and then a crazy kid? Charles Lee Ray's all Tom Holland. That was all created after Tom Holland came on board, I believe. Cool. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. Awesome. Yeah. So maybe originally he did get a good guy doll, but it was just actually a, just a regular good guy doll. <laughs> that, that's what I'm assuming. Yeah, they, they, they probably wouldn't have had the cold opening. No. Exactly. That's what I mean. Or a whole different one or whatever. But yeah, yeah. I, I, oh. I what we ended up getting sounds a lot better than uh, what they were planning. So I'm glad they did it. Oh, yeah. Just because just think of how iconic Chuck. I mean, if you think about it, like as far as if you if you consider, you know, Chucky or Child's Play a slasher franchise, I mean, it's got to be yeah. like the longest running still active like and yeah. they're still yeah. they're still making now with the chucky show it's like they're still making stuff based on the canon of the original movie right yep yeah like that, that's for, crazy. for better or worse you know. <laughs> but uh you know like an older like a younger me yeah yeah fuck that shit but like an older me is like I'm kind of curious to see how that version would play out, though, you know, because we could have got like a dark killer kid movie. It's very psychological, too. True, true. I mean, Tom Holland isn't really known for his ultra dark stuff. I mean, most of his genre stuff is lighthearted. Cicada rape a lady. (laughs) Very true. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. uh, next, I it's my turn. Back to Derek, yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, I'm going to steal this one from Mike because I know one of us was going to mention it, and that's Ghostbusters Afterlife. Just got out of the theater seeing it today. Yes, and sir. Yeah. Jason Reitman hit it out of the fucking park with this one. <laughs> yep, I got to agree. Oh, um, looking forward to it. Yeah, we won't... Uh, no spoilers since Venom hasn't seen it, but I just love uh, how this is set up and this where it went. And uh, this, I I wasn't expecting a lot of the original score in the movie, and mm-hmm. it's it's the whole movie's score is the original score to the original Ghostbusters. Nice. So yeah. I wasn't expecting that at all, and it worked. It was fun uh, i like the characters i liked where the story went and yeah i, I got yeah. emotional I, <laughs> yeah <laughs> i i like the i like the fact that you know by the time the movie's over we get the nostalgia aspects that we needed but that's not a crutch for the movie itself and i think that's what i was most impressed by my biggest worry was that you know we would get into the movie, start watching it. And all we would be concerned about is like, okay, okay, but get to the part where we think, or we might know, or that something's going to harken back to, 
the original or you know we because there's that natural kind of instinct to like want that but i felt the movie did a great job of standing on its own merit um the actual story and the characters that were introduced um were fantastic i was fully on board like it was almost to the point where like if there wasn't nostalgia stuff coming at all i would have been fine with it too because i was just really impressed with uh the story they developed and the girl who plays uh or the the, the younger girl in it phoebe uh, yeah, yeah i don't know I don't know if it'd be a spoiler to say, but I, I won't say <laughs> who her character is just in case Venom isn't. Well, aware, you know, I don't watch trailers, so, you know, I know nothing about the film. Literally. Yeah. Zero. So so I won't say I'll just say <laughs> she is great. And as soon as you I think you find out early on who she is, but it she plays that part perfect for being who she's supposed to be. And yeah, by the end, uh, I usually don't. Like my, I you kind of have that uh, that feeling at the end of nostalgia, and I would get into why it kind of hit me when a lot of times that, that kind of stuff doesn't. But I don't even want to say that, not because it's a, I'm embarrassed or anything, but just for spoiler stuff. And um, I I think this this movie it does a great job staying on its own two feet, and where it goes from here is anyone's guess because it. I think you could look at this movie as like the closing of the original, you know, material or not. It just kind of depends how you take uh, where the movie goes. It can yeah. go either way, and that's what makes it so yeah. great. I that that's that's one of the best, you know, the original Star Wars trilogy, the OG trilogy. It's something I always liked about it is each movie felt like it could stand on its own, even though the story, you know, continues from the rest of it, still each one felt like it could stand on its own two feet. And I think that's what's the beauty of this Ghostbusters Afterlife. Yeah, I especially love the character that I actually nicknamed Young Mr. Venom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Am I going to be offended or, or flattered? No, Mike knows who I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure as soon as that character starts talking, you'll know exactly who Derek was referencing and you'll start laughing. All right. Yeah. I'll probably yeah. see it Tuesday with Mrs. Venom. It's, uh, that'll be our first opportunity. Yeah, good stuff. <laughs> yeah, the, I, my my criticism of it are very tiny, but it's not even worth getting into at the moment because I don't even want to spoil it. That could be considered a potential spoiler, so I'm not even going to go there. Maybe next episode after you've seen it, if yeah. you it up on your what we watched and we'll get into it a little more but i'll just leave it at i thought it was pretty damn excellent cool uh, all right so for my next one um i'll kind of continue with the tv theme ghostbusters was gonna be one of my three but uh derek took care of that um the return of dexter i've been watching it so far i loving it you know i i was when it got announced and they said the setting was going to, you know, be kind of where he's hiding out, I was like, okay, we'll see. But so far, I like the contrast from the Miami setting. It kind of gives, it it gives the show a new feel to it. It's, it's like the same familiar Dexter, but in a new a new city. Obviously, it's kind of the complete opposite of Miami. And I think in effect, what it's done is it's kind of helped 
the viewer get over the fact that like a large portion of the original cast, even though they were still alive at the end of the series, it makes it okay that they're not there. Um, obviously there's, there's some stuff uh, that's returned as far as character wise, but I, I think so far it's off to a good start and it'll just kind of be like where we go with the villain, how that gets developed, how interesting that ends up becoming. Um, but so far I'm fully on board and then I'll make it a twofer because as you know, cable premium networks often do when they have a hit show coming back, they like to put a new show kind of behind it just to hopefully bleed over viewers. And with Showtime, they have this new show called yellow jackets, which, um, the easiest way to sum it up, because there's only been one episode so far. The second episode will be tonight. But the easiest way to describe it is kind of like a female Lord of the Flies. That's what they're developing. Basically, oh, a, it's not a killer B movie. Damn it. <laughs> no, nah, it's a high school. I believe it's like a, a female high school soccer team. Uh, they are flying to like nationals. They like won the semifinals and going to nationals and the plane crashes. And the way the story is being told is kind of it's split between the events that actually took place and kind of the girls now as adults where, you know, any type of major incident like that, every so years, the media is going to come poking around again or, Oh, the investigation went cold, but now the new law enforcement wants to reopen and check it into it. So we're kind of getting the dual kind of like uh, settings with it. And like I said, it's only an episode in so far, so it's hard to make like a final judgment on it. But as far as the first episode, which is mainly to set the table on what everything's about, I thought it's uh, really interesting. I'm looking forward to where that's going. So that's my uh, next. So uh, what's yellow jackets on? The yellow, like, why is it? Oh, it's Showtime. Cause it's, okay, okay, gotcha. gotcha. Yeah. Sounds interesting. Like, yeah, it's called Yellow Jackets because that's the mascot of the school. Um, <laughs> at first, I, I, at first, that's why I thought you were me. Yeah, at first, I thought, I thought you were asking, like, why Yellow Jackets, but you were asking what, what channel it's on. <laughs> why Yellow Jackets? Really? We got uh, Royal Jelly earlier in the year. Why give us Yellow Jackets now? We're getting licorice pizza now. What the fuck is going on with these titles? Ah, <laughs> uh, Venom. Anything else for you? Not really. I, I, in all honesty, like I said, I haven't been really watching a lot. Though I'm gonna bring, I, I'm gonna bring, I'm gonna do something that we've never done, or at least that I've never done. I'm gonna do a re-review. Now, this, oh, this no. is a movie that came out this year for Halloween. Very anticipated. I'm sure you all already know what I'm talking about. We reviewed it on Fresh Cuts. Yeah, it's, it's got a certain William Shatner mass killer in it. So, of course, I'm talking about Halloween Kills. Uh, we, we reviewed the shit out of this. You know, we had a long episode on Fresh Cuts. Um, I'm sure we've discussed it individually, you know, in many other places as well, but... I wanted to bring it to the table because I watched it um, right before Halloween or right after Halloween. Actually, I rewatched it with Mrs. Venom. Uh, she hadn't seen it. So it was a first time watch for her. She was she was mildly interested. She knew that I wasn't very high on the movie. You know, did evil but die she still that had night? A mild interest. What's that? Did evil die that did- night? No, no, the the pizza that we killed that died that night, but no, nothing else died that night, unfortunately. But uh, man, uh, I, I gotta say that the movie is still not good to me. I, I'm I'm not necessarily saying that I would rate it any higher. Not that we rate our movies here anyway, but 
had I rated Halloween Kills, you know, when we first saw it, it's not like I would rate it higher now. What I am going to say is that I'm I'm a lot more forgiving of the stupidity of the film after watching it with Mrs. Venom because she, you know, she's not watching these movies with a critical eye like I am. You know, I'm, I'm sitting here trying to pick out things I don't like, things I want to bring up on a review, blah, blah, blah. But she's just watching it as a fan, as an old Michael Myers fan. You know, I mean, one of our first dates together uh, back in the mid 90s, I think, was like, what, Halloween six, maybe or each. No, it would have been. No, it might have even been H2O, actually. But anyway, yeah, one of our first dates was a Halloween movie. So, you know, there's a little bit of, uh, you know, romantic nostalgia there. So she was interested in the new one. And let me just say. Watching her watch the film and being a lot more forgiving of the stupidity of it made me feel a little, I don't know, um, pretentious, I guess, because, you know, as I've said, we're podcasters, we're glorified movie critics, and sometimes we feel the need to pan something because we didn't like it. But to watch Mrs. Venom's sheer joy of the brutality of some of these kills in this movie to the fact, to the point where if you've seen the movie, then you know, the kill of the old couple in the kitchen where Michael stabs that guy like eight times. My wife and I were chuckling that entire scene, not necessarily because it was funny, but just because of just how Michael was acting, what Michael was doing. And it just brought a new joy to the film that I didn't have watching it the first two times by myself. So what I'm going to say is is I, that I have mildly warmed up to Halloween kills. Excuse me. Halloween kills. Um, like I said, I still think the kills are great. I, th- I, still, I still think every scene with Michael in it is great. It still has too much fan service. It's still pandering. Um, it's got some painful dialogue. I mean, I can go on and on, but... You know, go back to Fresh Cuts and listen to it. Everything I said on Fresh Cuts is still valid. All I wanted to bring it up for uh, here was because I was surprised at how much I enjoyed watching this with a non-podcaster, if that makes sense. Because I ultimately, I don't have a lot of horror movie-loving friends in real life. It's mostly all podcasters. So I, I just wanted to bring that to the table, that maybe if you've seen the movie by yourself and didn't like it that much... Watch it with a group of people. If, if you have a, a circle of friends that watches horror movies together or movies in general and you didn't like Halloween Kills, I would say give it another chance. And, you know, maybe it was the libations and other herbal pleasures that we were enjoying. But for whatever it's worth, I had a lot better time watching it this time with my wife than I did, you know, by myself. So that, that's all I really wanted to bring it up for. I assume that Derek and Mike have not rewatched it since the first time. But if oh, I already you pre-ordered have- my 4K, I love the movie. That's right. You really liked it. Mike was the one who was kind of down on it. But I mean, Mike, have you given it another chance since that first watch? No, I just I haven't really had the opportunity to watch. I mean, yeah, like I'm not I I wouldn't say like, oh, I refuse to rewatch it. Just the opportunity hasn't come up yet. But, I, you know, I could see under the circumstances you're talking about, like how you could kind of put aside some of like our initial criticisms. If you're just kind of watching it for for just the purpose of like, Hey, I'm just going to throw it on and, you know, roll with the punches, I guess, you know, exactly. I mean, it's not like we didn't make fun of it at certain times. I mean, Uh there's still some cringeworthy scenes, some absolutely terrible line deliveries in the movie. It's not perfect, 
I was going to listen to Spooky Records and get stoned. (laughs) That line I kind of liked, actually. (laughs) Those are the best characters in the movie. They're the MVPs. In all honesty, they kind of were. Especially, (laughs) I've watched the movie three times now. And like I said, every time I watch it, it gets a little bit... Or should I say, I just get a little bit more forgiving of the stupidity of it. But yeah, if I turn my brain off and just maybe drink a couple of beers and watch it, I, I actually find myself accepting a lot more of it. So yeah, that's really the only reason I wanted to bring it here. And plus, I'm out of anything new to talk about. So there you go. There's your Halloween Kills re-review. <laughs> and then this new version was Robert England in it? Oh, uh, yeah, he was the janitor. It was amazing. Nice. Good shit, yeah. Uh, I'm done, Mike. <laughs> All right. Do you got anything for your last one, Derek? Uh, nothing really new. Uh, I did rewatch Gone and Jim Haunted Asylum, which I really love. A Ooh, great a found. You know, is it the most original found footage movie? I could even admit, probably not. Yeah. It's. It's kind of like your standard, like, that's what I always hear about complaints about this movie. It's not original. It's just a basic bitch. It it has a basic story, for a fan, but it's so fucking well done. I'm like, shut the fuck up, you fucking complainers. Just enjoy yeah. a good fucking found fo- made found footage movie that doesn't look like shit and actually has some pretty decent acting in it, you know, for once, you know? Like, shut the fuck up. You don't have to be a fucking my Like, found footage movies don't have to be fucking, like, you know, complex or deep or anything. They just need to be done well. And this one's very well done. I like all, like, the things that happen within it. And it actually kind of has some scary set pieces to it. It's a great little found footage movie from South Korea, and I love it. It's one of my favorites, actually. I will fully admit, Derek, that after one watch, I was one of those people who was saying, well, you know, been there, done that. It's well made, but it really didn't, you know, it didn't blow my mind. But I did watch it again this October, this past October. Yeah. And ultimately, yeah, it may not be the most original movie ever, but it is so goddamn well made. Like, I mean, it, it's better than Great Encounters, which is, you know, you could kind of call that the the American counterpart of this yeah. film. Uh, I like it better than Grave Encounters, and I really do like Grave Encounters, the first one anyway. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with you. This is a movie that deserves a second watch as well. Um, if you, you know, uh, props to Derek, uh, excuse me, props to Dave Z for his importance of those second watches. Cause he's 100% right. Those second watches really matter. And I, I watched it for the, I, I only watched it the first time once. Uh, it wasn't for a review. I don't think we actually reviewed the film, but you know, everybody was talking about it and maybe a little bit of the hype, maybe kind of altered the way I looked at it, but ultimately I remember thinking after one watch, well made, it's a good movie, I can see why a lot of people like it, but it didn't blow my mind. But then, like I said, when I watched it this past October, I just found so much more about it that I really liked. Knowing where the story was going, I was able to appreciate some little details, uh, you know, on the way to our ending, so... Yeah, totally agree with Derek. Um, even though that movie did get a lot of good word of mouth at the time, it's still mildly underappreciated. So, yeah, it's definitely one of the better uh, South Korean found footage films of the last few years. I, I liked it a lot. Hell yeah. 
<laughs> nice. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet, but uh, I want to check what? it out. Yeah, I know. Mike doesn't like reading subtitles. Mike's oh, that's not true. He doesn't like horror movies. Mike can't read. I'm making him review fucking Spider-Man. I just want to see how more severe, how more severe what Mike can't do. I just want to see where this goes. <laughs> <laughs> you no, you don't, sir. <laughs> I have a very creative mind. You, you don't want to know where it's gonna go. <laughs> I'm gonna just pick all subtitled movies from now on. Oh, do it. Yes, all foreign. We are now no more room in foreign hell. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, for my third thing, it's actually going to be a video game, something that's been sitting on oh, the system. Oh, we go. Yeah. I knew sorry. It was fucking coming. Well, <laughs> it is. It's here finally. Been sitting on my uh, system for a while. Finally decided to give Little Nightmares to a playthrough. Nice. And uh, I actually streamed it on Twitch for like a couple hours. I think last week. And I uh, had some people show up to it, which is which is cool. Always good to get interact. Like I usually, I I'm not, I don't have any type of real Twitch like uh, presence, or I don't do it to like actually, you know, I don't do it like another version like of a podcast to actually hopefully build a, a huge audience. I just kind of, I'll, I'll sometimes hit the broadcast just for the hell of it. And uh, but yeah, a few people showed up and interacted, so it was cool. I, I like it. Um, I was a fan of the first one um, coming off like games like Limbo and Inside Little Nightmares is kind of similar side scrolling platformer, just really like gross and gruesome looking. The design is really cool, pretty creepy. And uh, two is more of the same, but they did add like um, depth to the screen screen screen. Um, so instead of just strictly like a 2D side scroller, uh, you can kind of walk back and forth. Uh, uh, what is it? Vertically or horizontally? Am I thinking? But uh, horizontal. <laughs> yeah, horizontal. Um. So now, yeah, like when you're trying to solve some of the puzzles to get past a certain area, instead of just going back and forth, you're actually like one of the early things that I had to figure out because I didn't even realize you could walk the depth of the screen. But there's uh like a out tree trunk that you walk through and kind of up it to get to a higher level which is once i did that or once i figured that out, i was like okay so they did add some elements to the sequel so still early on probably like i said like an hour or two into it but uh it i, I like i'm so because i'm not a big like online player anymore for some if i'm going to stream something that's like the perfect game to do it because you know it's like a slower paced uh figure out the puzzle to get to the next screen type of thing it makes it easier for people i actually are in there in the chat like talking interacting it makes it easier like actually look at the chat and answer people as opposed to if i'm playing like some shooter where you can like never look away from the screen it would make uh it'd make it a little harder so maybe uh when i throw it on again i'll all stream, but if anyone is in is interested, it's it's just no count Mike. That's the the Twitch channel's name. So, and that's also the Instagram. So I I, I kind of keep some of the social media names the same. So like if you can find one, you can find them all. So uh, yeah. So if if we have any listeners that like watching Twitch streams, uh, that's that's sort of find it. But yeah, that's that's it for me as far as that uh, goes. So. Uh, outside of our three, anything else anyone seen that they want to bring up? No. <laughs> I, I, w- I will say, uh, I, 
I got the Ghostbusters 4K in the mail the day after I saw the new one, of course. <laughs> <laughs> technically, technically, it's early Christmas shopping, so I'm okay with it because I'm one of those people who are like, even though, yes, I'm an adult and I don't have to wait for Christmas, I kind of stick to it. Like, if I say this is Christmas shopping, I'll go – I won't wrap it immediately, but I will go kind of put it off to the side to – uh go with the Christmas presents to go under the tree. So um, I haven't opened it yet, but I got that. I ordered the alien 4k, the 40th anniversary. And then um, I pre-ordered the Krampus naughty edition. Ooh, um, so you and I Mine's on it. the way. I, I just got the shipping notice yesterday. Oh, nice. Yeah. I think I did actually get the shipping update. Cause when I initially ordered it, it was like, we don't have an ETA yet, but I think the other day I got a new email saying, oh, it's like Tuesday or Wednesday. It hits, or something. Yeah, it, it hits retail December 4th, I think. But if you, if as usual, if you reserve it on Scream Factory, you get it a couple of weeks early. So, yeah, yeah. Mine, mine got shipped out yesterday. Very yeah. happy. My yeah, it doesn't start until I have my Krampus 4K in my hand. Yeah, it was a, it was a little more than I wanted to pay. But here's the thing for me. When it comes to Christmas horror, I think just Christmas stuff in general, that's kind of like the one season and whether it's uh, movies or TV or whatever, I don't really tend to like watch like Christmas holiday related stuff or anything like that outside of like these months. So I'm like, the Krampus is like the one I just want to hurry up and get now, even if I have to pay a little more where most stuff I'll throw it on my wish list and look over a few months to see if the price drops. But the Krampus one, I was like, uh, if I don't get it in time for like this Christmas season, what's going to end up happening is I'll, I'll end up with it in March and then I'll sit on my shelf until like next year's Christmas. So I was like, nah, I'm just going to go ahead and get it. Yeah, it's it's literally one of my favorite Christmas horror films ever. So as soon as it was announced, I ordered it. So I've had to sit here and wait two and a half months for it to finally hit ship. But yeah. It's uh, I adore that film. It's an absolute must have in 4K. Again, it's Mike Flanagan or uh, Michael Dougherty. Excuse me. Not not Michael Flanagan. Mike Dougherty. The one who directed the Godzilla movie that we all love. Yep, exactly. (laughs) Um, And more importantly, Trick or Treat. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Mm. <laughs> he does his holiday uh, his holiday films really well. Uh, he, he's done two holiday horror films, and they're both absolute classics. So, yeah, I give the man his credit, his props. But uh, yeah, Krampus must have for me. Um, I know a lot of people, you know, may not appreciate it. It's a little campy, it's a little over the top, whatever, blah blah blah. But it's so goddamn fun and so well made. And and it's a different looking Krampus too. It's not the the standard horn demon that we always get. So I appreciate the attempt at a new uh, looking Krampus. So you know, and obviously all his little helpers just add so much um, to the film. On top of the fact that the film has a great cast. I mean, Adam Scott, Tony Collette, um, what's his face? Uh, Dude from Ron Burgundy. Yes, is that is that Keckner or is that uh, yeah? That's David Keckner, yeah. So, great, great fucking cast. Um, uh, Just all around uh, an amazing film and an absolute must-watch for me in December. Sometimes I watch it more than once. I got a feeling this year I'll watch it more than once since we'll have 4K. And it's a director's cut, so there's going to be content I've never seen. So, that's exciting, too. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a naughty edition. 
So the naughty edition is actually inserting the footage back into the movie then? I believe so, yeah. All the uh, uh, Well, maybe not all of the deleted scenes, but at least the ones that they could fit back in there. I mean, I'm hoping there's stuff we haven't seen, but yeah, uh, fingers crossed regardless. Cool. Yep. Um, okay, so that's good for me. Um, but what about you guys? Anything else? Yeah. No, I'm not looking to extend our longest what we've been watching ever. No. Yeah, the, for the first movie was like an hour long. <laughs> that's my fault. <laughs> and we, it, it, yeah, we literally talked about one of the child's plays. It, it, it feels like we talked about like the franchise. <laughs> well, we talked um, about let the right one in for like a half hour. So yeah, sorry folks, I brought I brought movies to the what we've been watching that I normally wouldn't because they're so popular already. They've already been discussed. But like I said, November has been a light month for me for movie watching after the heavy ass October, and then of course December is always rewatch month where we got to get our top tens together while still watching new content for fresh cuts so like i said i just decided to take november a little bit easier since i know december is going to ramp up again all over so so just things killing yeah yeah <laughs> thanks killing uh you know uh poultry geist maybe we'll see <laughs> thanks killing three the only movie they skip its sequel <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. well i heard the second one was terrible so they skipped right to the third <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, all right. Well, the only news item I got is about the supposed director's cut of the stuff reportedly being discovered, and I hope it gets released because I shall buy it if it does. Yeah, I love that killer yogurt. Yeah, I hope. I mean, in the when they announced it, did they talk about what they found, like what format? I mean, like is it an old VHS? Did they actually find like a thirty-five millimeter reel? I think it was. They said. 35 millimeter in the article. Okay, that's yeah, cool. 30, 35 okay. millimeter reel, yep. Exactly. Because I know the only way to watch like some of the deleted stuff from like some of the old Friday the thirteenth is like old VHS footage that With no sound. Exactly, yeah. And I and granted, I still appreciate it. You know, anything that I haven't seen I want to see, uh, when it comes to the franchises that I love, and yeah, I, I love the stuff, so I'm curious to see, uh, you know, the quality of the new footage and, of course, you know, the content of the new footage as well. So, yeah, that's fairly big news for a slow November. <laughs> yeah, especially it's it's like like a movie like The Stuff, like it, when you're talking about 30 extra minutes of footage, it gets you curious because it's like, is it cool stuff, fun stuff, just more character? It's probably Rapey like, Paul Sorbino stuff. <laughs> I'm on board. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, an yeah. extra half hour. That's like 33% more movie. Exactly. <laughs> and and we, we could watch it for the first time and be like, okay, I see why they cut that 30 minutes. Or we could end up watching it and being like, holy shit, why did they cut this stuff out? So, yeah. Hopefully yeah, some I, of I, it is like uh, violence, like they cut it out for MPAA reasons or whatever. Because uh -huh. if, it, if it's all just character development, I may not be as happy about it. <laughs> yeah, as of yet, I haven't seen an actual like breakdown of what the extra yeah. footage is, so I'm sure that'll be coming shortly. Maybe it's a 20 minute intro from the director. <laughs> it's fucking. It's just Michael Moriarty like, I'm gonna fuck this girl right now. You know? Maybe ori <laughs> maybe originally Robert England was the stuff. And, oh uh, no! Oh yeah, it turns into Freddy Krueger. It turns out Eric Stoltz was the stuff for two weeks, and then they went with Michael J. Fox. The, the yeah. stuff was the stuff was just Freddy's uh, form in that specific nightmare, I guess. Yeah, 
Yeah, I'm sure once once they uh, release like more details on the content of that 30 minutes, we, we might revisit the story with uh, sure. more. I want to eat the stuff now. I, I do not. <laughs> I, I no. do. I'll, I'll feed it to someone I don't like, but uh, I'll stick to the normal terrible yogurt that I eat. That doesn't look like yogurt. It looks like fluff, and I love fluff. Oh, that's true. Oh, fluffernutters. Mm, yum. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Twelve years old again. Jesus. <laughs> okay. Well, that's yeah. That's really all the news I had. Wasn't not much a whole lot going on. I don't know if you guys got anything. I mean, I looked around, but yeah, it's the end of the year thing. You know, nobody really makes a lot of big announcements at the end of the year. You know, we we already know what our cinematic lineup is going to be for the rest of the year. So there's no real surprises to announce there, blah, blah, blah. It's going to be slow news wise, I would imagine, until the new year. But yeah, (laughs) excuse (laughs) me. Um, okay, well, with that said, I I don't really have a burning question either, other than, um, Hi. Other, than other than nothing, yeah. <laughs> uh, the only thing, I really, the only uh, thing I've really noticed is that for some reason, uh, the remake conversation has started up again. Has, oh, has, no, let's not start this. Again. No, no, I, I don't really want to bring it up. I'm just, uh, my question is why? Like, was another I, remake announced that, like, pissed people off or something? Because I might probably message somebody and told them <laughs> to complain about remakes again. No, because it's uh, funny because I'm seeing it on Twitter. Like, my Twitter feed is getting dominated by remake talk again. And I wasn't sure if maybe, like, a horror movie or some other movie remake was announced that got this going. But, yeah, like, the last, like, I'd say 10 days to two weeks, I, I can't scroll for more than two or three screens without running into another person either being on one side of the remake argument or the other. So I was just kind of wondering what the hell brought that on. But The only remake that I know that's coming out is not even a horror one. It's fucking West Side Story. So I have no idea. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. I saw a trailer for that one. I was just wondering if that maybe an announcement was made, like they announced the Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, remake part two or whatever, and, and it just got people arguing again because... It's just weird that a topic just comes out of nowhere on social media. There's some, there's usually some kind of catalyst for it, you know, for a trending topic. And the remakes were trending for the last like week or two, and I just, just didn't know why. So, man, it's probably just a, standard, standard internet stupidity, probably. Yeah, I, think I, think we, oh, I was gonna say, I think there's a horror director remaking Under Siege, the Steven Seagal movie. Oh, <laughs> oh God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the Tim Timo from uh, the Mo Brothers, the, the guy who did like uh, the made the Devil Take You movies, and he did uh, the Safe Night Haven. Comes for Us. Yeah, yeah. What what is he doing? Something is he doing? He's, a doing, he's, do, he's doing Under Siege. Oh, he's doing under. Wait a minute, he's doing Under Siege. Yeah, yes. that's weird. I no, he, he does come from an action background too. He does action movies too. Yeah, but his action see. is like very gory, like very over the top, oh. which I love. Don't get me wrong, but it just doesn't sound like something that like a Hollywood film would kind of gravitate towards. You but never I, know. I welcome it absolutely. He also yeah, did my see. favorite segment okay. of the new VHS. Uh, movie uh vhs 94 i mean we reviewed that a couple of weeks ago on fresh cuts anybody who heard it knows i absolutely raved about that movie it potentially might be my new favorite vhs film of the franchise and 
um, Timu's segment was by far my favorite. It was like head and shoulders my favorite. Uh, I think, oh, damn it, what, what was the name of that segment? The Specimen or something like that? Mm-hmm. I forget, but yeah, that fucking that that kind of biomechanical, you know, humans melded with machines segment. I just, that that entire segment from beginning to end was just pure joy for me. Just ear to ear grin on my face as these people are being decimated by these mechanical monsters. I just it, it, they took Frankenstein's uh, wait, what was the name of that movie? Frankenstein's Army. They took Frankenstein's Army and compacted it into like a twenty minute segment, and it fucking worked. I loved it. Yeah, <laughs> yep. and it's better than um, Frankenstein's I Army. Yeah, I like Frankenstein's I Army. Yeah, so do I. I'm a fan. Like I said, biomechanical stuff I've always been a fan of, ever since uh, Tetsuo, ever since the first Iron Man. Yeah, you know, machine and flesh melding together, it, I, I kind of did it. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think isn't um, Lily Amapur who did... Uh, she's doing it? Cliffhanger. She's doing Cliffhanger, yeah, which is hilarious. Yeah, she dwells in the different genres, too. Her movies aren't really technically horror movies, like full right. bone. They're on the fringe, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she gets all over the place. But yeah, it's just funny because like now it's like all the '80s action movies. Are... <laughs> well, I guess I guess Under Siege was like '91 or something like '92, maybe. Yeah. But are you yeah, gonna... that era. <laughs> are you gonna kill yourself, Mike, when they announce the Die Hard remake? Directed by Ari Aster. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, if the if the uh, what the fifth and sixth installments are any indication i just won't watch them like there you go good call speaking of action movies mel gibson's directing lethal weapon 5 oh, i, I saw that. that yeah is that Mad mel. I, I heard that that was a possibility they announced oh, that he's down yeah, oh, Glover, yeah. <laughs> i mean i say that's awesome only because i would imagine the quality of the film will be a little bit better I, i'm not saying it's awesome because i like mel gibson necessarily yeah. i like his acting but Obviously, he's got some personal views that I differ with, but uh, yeah. you know, but if he's actually directing, I, I, I'm still interested. You know, is Glo- you said Glover's coming back too? Yes, man, he's got to be what like I'm too old for this shit, Riggs. Yeah, he's got to be way too old for this shit by now. <laughs> Joe Dude, Pesci his, looks like his, he's fucking four hundred. Glover, yeah, if Glover has kids, man, his kids are probably too old for this shit at the, at this point. <laughs> hey, Michael Myers is in his seventies and he's still running strong. So, imagine if Lethal Weapon Five is a spinoff where it's a Halloween kills oh, no. the multiverse. Because <laughs> that's yeah, all it's I mean, gonna lead to is the multiverse. Because you guys oh. didn't see that end credit scene of Halloween Kills, where uh, Chuck Norris's character from Silent Rage comes into Haddonfield. <laughs> I mean, as long as Lethal Weapon Five, if they plan to be like a you know an R-rated action movie, I'll give it a shot because I like the Lethal Weapon movies. So, oh, it's definitely gonna be R-rated. It better be, yeah. I, I don't want, I don't want a family-friendly Lethal Weapon. Fuck that. And if Mel Gibson's directing, there might be some like Passion of the Christ type violence in there. There'll probably be some fucking racism in there. Awesome. Woo, look out. <laughs> It'll be. Yeah, the co- the cops hitting the street on the beat, just fucking. Speaking of Mel Gibson, I can't wait to rewatch Fat Man again. I oh yeah, I like Fat it. Man. God, is that? I mean, is it as good as people say? Yes, I really it, liked it. I was surprised yeah. how much I, it, it's like a very. The setup is pretty simple, but they play it straight. Like you, you can easily once you kind of are you know into the movie and you you understand what the story is. 
uh-huh. you can you can see how they could have taken it in like a much more kind of goofy tongue in cheek way, but the fact that they play it straight is it's pretty interesting, and I I, I liked it, man. I I was surprised. And and is it horror or is it more on the fringe as well? No, nah, it's not really horror. Oh, um, okay. It's I know nothing about like it. A, again, uh, all yes. I know is that you know there was a Christmas movie from last year with Mel Gibson. That's like all I knew about it. No, it's kind of like dark. an action revenge. It's a very dark comedy slash action. Right. Yeah, maybe I'll give it a shot this December. Yeah, throw it in in your Christmas uh, inventory or list yeah. or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, in fact, I might actually rewatch it this winter because I liked it, and I haven't seen it since last year. Yeah, I have it on Voodoo. I keep wanting to watch it, but I'm like, it's not Christmas. The fuck. <laughs> yeah, it's like once you start, because like my wife, she likes throwing on like the the Hallmark Christmas stuff, and oh, like, I know, I've been watching them all, all day. Dude, they're already like just at the point where it's like they just show them all day long because like uh, anytime I go talk, I, know, to my I got wife, some recorded. <laughs> Like, damn, in November, they're already marathoning them. People learn some dark secrets about me. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. I, I When it comes to Christmas for me, I'm all about nostalgia. Like, I, I rarely seek out new stuff. You know, I'm, I'm still that kid watching Charlie Brown and, and A Christmas Carol and, uh, or excuse me, A Christmas Story and A Christmas Carol, for that matter. But you know, the, the good Grinch. thing about the Lifetime Christmas movies, Vin, is you could fall asleep to one and you wake up and it's the same story, even though it's <laughs> different actors. Wait a minute, wasn't Alicia Silverstone just on my screen? What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god, whatever. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know. I don't know that I'll ever sit through one. I, I'm not saying anything about them. I've never... To my knowledge, I've never seen one, so they oh, could be oh, great. There's even some horror Lifetime movies. That That's what I've heard, to... too. I've heard that some of them get really like close to horror, like they get dark and shit, which, again, mildly interests me, but I just don't know that I have the time to invest into it. I, I, think, I think Bruce Campbell is just in one. Uh, yeah, that's what I heard. Yeah, yeah because a lot, a lot of people were confusing that with the Black Friday movie, thinking that people were talking about the same movie, but no, Black Friday is its own thing. But he was in a Lifetime Christmas movie. I, I have no idea what his role was or what the movie was about, but he was in it. <laughs> there's fucking uh, there's there's this great Lifetime movie called Deadly Abduction, which stars Will Ferrell and Kristen Wiig, <laughs> and they um, abduct a kid. That I sounds that. odd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, the funny thing is, is like going into that. They're playing I, serious too. It's fucking. Yeah, weird. I think I think everybody assumed it was going to be a, a parody, but then because that's why I recorded it because I thought, oh man, they're just going to rip these movies to shreds. But about a half hour in there, I'm like, they're playing this straight, like an actual lifetime movie. Like they're not they're not doing tongue in cheek stuff in this, and it almost made it more funny because of the fact that they're playing it. Straight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Trashies look good. I love it. <laughs> Uh, okay. Speaking of trashy, you guys ready to get into these movies? Yeah. I, I think I am. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, in that case, we will take a quick break. And then when we return, Derek is going to captain this ship of Italian cinema. So stick around and we'll be right back with a couple of movies. Treasure, all right. Yeah, but what's it 
doing in here? There is an underground crypt that is cursed. Rumor has it that beyond the crypt, you can go even deeper through a series of catacombs that, according to some people, is the waiting room to hell, a place where all the horrors from beyond the grave can be witnessed. <laughs> Let's get one thing straight. Cut it short, Tina. Cemeteries. I don't want to see the tombs. What is it? It's only a mirror. What are you screaming for, you idiot? It's just a Don't tell me you believe in vampires and zombies and that kind of... <laughs> I'm here to welcome you. <laughs> Take off the carnival mask now. <laughs> well, I don't see what we have to be scared of. Unless... Unless what? Unless you're scared silly of a dusty old chapel and a few splintered coffins. I don't know. It sounded metallic. No! No, this way!
you are, my little angels. You've performed well today. <laughs> don't move! I said don't move or you'll be sorry. One more step and it'll be your last, understand? If you do what I want, no one will get hurt. Drop the pistol blast it. Yeah, we're back, folks, with the first movie of the night, and that is Graveyard Disturbance, uh, directed by Lamberto Bava, written by Lamberto Bava and Dardino Cicchetti, who Dardino Cicchetti actually wrote a lot of my favorite horror movies from Italy, which is weird. Uh, yeah, he wrote, like, Zombie, The Beyond, uh, nice. Demons, you know. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you you wouldn't know watching this movie. Well, but a uh, <laughs> uh, little plot synopsis of Graveyard Disturbance. Five young robbers spend a whole night in a dark catacomb to win a priceless treasure. They will have to fight against lots of ferocious zombies and vampires. At the end, they will meet death in person. Wow, that just spoiled the whole fucking thing. Really? You know? <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I remember watching this movie when I first got the DVD, which, wow, rewatching this on DVD, like, holy <laughs> fuck, was, 
uh, H, the 4K TV did not do this movie justice at all because it was pretty <laughs> much a little square box inside of a giant thing of blackness. <laughs> it was like, what? Uh, but, uh, yeah, I remember in having fun with this movie the first time I seen it. Re- watching it this time, though, I, I did notice its limitations because who on it you could this one actually kind of feels like a tv movie in the sense of the budget and where it mm-hmm. goes and the story and i just noticed i was getting kind of bored with it in the first beginning of it especially with the build up of getting to the actual like little like castle slash pub mm-hmm. i don't know what the fuck it was uh i thought grim Fratelli was going to be there for some weird reason, <laughs> but uh, that would have made the movie better. But uh, you know, the acting dubbed, of course, uh, there's actually only two actors that I do recognize from other Italian horror movies are uh, Carl Zinni, who plays David in the movie, who's actually in Demons. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's uh, the friend of the main hero character of that movie, <laughs> and you know, he's like, Kill me now. Before he turns into a demon, but then we got uh, Patrice Ring who plays Mickey. The she's the blonde-headed at girl. Uh, mm-hmm. She's in Lucio Fulci's Zombie Three. Oh. Uh, yeah, which is actually Zombie Two, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's confusing. Yeah, but uh, yeah, uh, you know, and you get a little fun cameo by Lamberto Bava too as the shock peeper. <laughs> That chases them out at the beginning of the movie. Uh, the movie actually does have some cool set pieces of the catacomb areas, though, mm-hmm. which I do like overall. And, uh, you know, some of the makeup effects kind of surprised me for a TV movie. They actually were well done. You know, I wish they did more with the zombies and they actually added a little bit more tension to the characters, per se. Especially when one of them has an awesome dummy fall off a ladder. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but you know there was no. It, it just didn't feel like there was no risk inside the movie, and, and that kind of hurt it for me. I, I expected maybe just a little bit more of a suspenseful journey through these catacombs, and I felt like, oh wait, these guys are just gonna live through this. <laughs> but then they tried to play it off where they, where the other movie that we're gonna talk about kind of played it off a little bit better. Mm-hmm. You were. You know, there was like that thing where are they dead? Because you know they had that scene where the the van was discovered and shit. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's trashy late eighties Italian TV, and you know, I it's not the best movie ever made. I can admit that, but I do like some of the set pieces of it, and you know, some of the effects of on the actual like creatures that we meet are pretty, like, gnarly looking for the time period it came out in. And, you know, there's some cheesy 80s music done by Simon Boswell, who did a, the score for, like, Demons 2 and Santa Sangre. He's actually the guy that sings the main fucking 80s pop song that plays throughout the movie. Oh. Imagination. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I knew Venom loved that. Uh, yeah, overall, it's watchable. But it does have a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. I'll even admit that. 
But uh, yeah, I'll let Venom go next since he's been like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Venom. First time watch for you. Uh, this one, yes, of of our two movies this week, this one is the first time watch, and I mean, you're a hundred percent right. There are some great set pieces in here. I liked all the stuff in the pub. I like the majority of the stuff in the catacombs. The couple of scenes that they did in the broken down church were really cool. But yeah, man, some of the acting in here is just painful. Absolutely cringe inducing. Uh, the the song the the one song that you hear throughout the movie it's like it's like a really bad eighties techno pop song. Um, that I, whew, I, I mean, where was Goblin? God damn it! Why couldn't you get Goblin to do the soundtrack? But um, ultimately, the movie still did have a lot of really good positives. I thought a lot of the tone. Um, and the set design too in the catacombs, I thought that that stuff looked really cool. Um, the makeup effects on our zombie slash vampires, whatever the hell you want to call them, uh, I thought looked really nice, nice and juicy. I really liked how their eyes glowed, uh, kind of at the beginning of the movie before we got close ups mm-hmm. of all the, of all the zombies, uh, when we saw them from far away, especially in that bar scene where they make the werewolf comment and that whole table of them turns around and looks at them and all their eyes are glowing. That was fucking terrifying to me. I thought that was really cool. So yeah, the movie's got a lot of positives. Ultimately though, it, it's, like Derek said, it takes a while getting there, and I actually wrote it down. It's the 51-minute mark before we see our first zombie thing in the catacombs. Now, before that, we do get a great scene in the pub where you know we see this guy who's been walking around uh, the, the, the town or at least the surrounding area where our kid's van broke down. By the way, this van, holy shit, it looks like the 1980s came all over this van. Just every picture that's painted on it is an 80s reference. There's like a picture of Madonna. Uh, what you got the cover of British Steel by Judas Priest. You've got uh, a pair of big red lips smoking a joint. I mean, yeah, the, the, this van just screamed 80s. Yeah, the van was cool. The van. Uh, it really was one of the coolest parts of the whole movie. I mean, it yeah. like it was, uh, the guy obviously took care of the outside of the van. He obviously didn't take the greatest care of the engine and the rest of the van. But ultimately, it looked really nice. But yeah, like I said, getting to this point, getting to the 51 minute mark, when we finally see our first creature, it is a little bit of a drag. These aren't the most likable characters. Uh, they're not necessarily hateable, um, but they're just, you know, they're terrible shoplifters, just petty thieves, um, you know, just trying to get away with little crimes here and there. And, you know, more of a thrill thing. You know, it's a, like thrill crimes more than anything. They're not necessarily looking to hurt people or assault people or anything like that. It's just, you know, kind of thrill of shoplifting. But these these kids are like in their late 20s. So I, I don't know where the thrill from of <laughs> shoplifting comes to a, someone in their late 20s. But whatever. That's a story for another show. Um and then the last thing I got to say, this ending, I hate this ending. Like, I yeah. I, I was kind of on board throughout the the movie. I like the mystery of it. And then even like you said, when they first showed their van tipped over and not in the spot where they had left it, I I'm thinking, okay, they're going for like a Jacob's ladder type ending. You know, they were dead the whole time or something, but it's like, they kind of alluded to that, but they don't really flat out 
uh, you know, say that that's the case. And then the way that the movie ends, which, you know, I guess we can get spoilery a little bit. The kids just kind of get arrested. Like, I don't know if there's symbolism there. I don't know if I'm supposed to believe that they actually are dead. Um, and I also feel like this movie just had the worst Grim Reaper. Literally, the guy most announces. Unevent- yeah, the most. <laughs> uneventful confrontation with death ever exactly literally in the same uh 30 seconds that this guy announces himself as i am the grim reaper one of the fucking kids stabs him with like a letter opener it's not even that big a knife he just stabs him in the midsection and he fucking goes down i'm like that's the grim reaper really i can stab the grim reaper rock on that's good to know um, but man, yeah, the, the movie makes some decisions that are just very, very questionable while still doing a lot of the horror set pieces properly. So there's a lot to watch here. I don't know that I could really recommend this. If, you, if you're an absolute Italian horror aficionado and you're a completionist, then obviously you're going to check this out. But I mean, otherwise, I, you know, other than just for a, a campy, fun, good time with, you know, a couple of good looking girls in it. You know, no, no overt sexuality in the film or anything, but, you know, the, the like I said, the movie has its positives. It just doesn't have enough of them for me to really want to return to this, you know, with any kind of regularity. Yeah. Um, it's worth seeing once. Absolutely. Like I said, it's it's just cool to see, you know, like the effects and the set design, uh, things like that. I do like our Harbinger. He's kind of silly, constantly maniacally laughing throughout the film. I thought he was great. Right. Uh, he's a- another one of the guys with the glowing eyes um, who actually, well, I'll, I'll, I'll keep that under my hat just in case you haven't seen it. But yeah, he was probably the most enjoyable character in the whole thing, especially early on when he's just talking to the kids about the challenge about, you know, staying in the catacombs all night and getting this, you know, beautiful bounty of gold and cash and everything else. Obviously, we just saw these kids, you know, rob, a, you know, uh, Baba's, <laughs> or, um, yeah, Lomberto's, uh convenience store. So obviously they don't have a lot of money. And obviously they're riding around in a piece of shit van that looks nice, but, you know, obviously runs like shit. Um, so the allure, I see the allure of wanting to stay in the catacombs overnight to win this prize because it does look excessive. If everything in there was real, all real gold and gems, then yeah, there's a lot of fucking money in that thing. Did you laugh when you saw American Express cards in there? I actually did. Because <laughs> uh, it made sense that there was different, because there was American money in there, there was Italian money. I, I think I saw a 10-pound note, so it's like the English money. So that made sense, because obviously different tourists from different countries are going to somehow come through this area. But yeah, the American Express card, I'm like, uh, is the Grim Reaper going to go charge something? Like, what value does that have to these, you know, undead <laughs> spirits? But whatever. It, it was funny. Like, it definitely, mm-hmm. you know, that especially at the time with the whole, you know, never leave home without it campaign being very popular. I'm sure, you know, I, I'm sure people got a chuckle out of that in the theater when it was brand new. So, yeah, I, I can appreciate the humor. It's a little out out from left field, especially in 2021. But like I said, the long and the short of it is um, there's a lot of stuff to enjoy in this movie. But unfortunately, um, it takes a long time to get to the stuff that's really, really fun. Uh, you know, characters who aren't the greatest actors and are really just caricatures of your average, you know, small time thugs that, that that get caught in a supernatural situation. So um, but overall, it, it was enjoyable. I don't regret my time with it. Um, 
like I said, ultimately our 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 shop owner or not the shop owner, but the the bar, the tavern owner slash harbinger of our film slash uh, his third character. Um, I, I did enjoy him. He he kept my interest. You know, I wish we would have gotten more of him. Uh, just like I wish we would have gotten more of a a couple of characters in our next film. But again, we'll get to that in a little bit. But yeah, overall, I mildly enjoyed the film. Like I said, it's a short one. Uh, you know, it's only an hour and 33 minutes. So it's not a long movie. It's not not hard to get through. That first 50 minutes might be where you're going to have the hardest time getting through. But then once we get to that third act and all the uh, all the undead creatures start coming to life and the the mystery of the whole thing starts to unravel a little bit more. There is stuff to enjoy, but overall, it's not going to get the biggest recommend from me, but still very watchable. Yeah, I'd be curious to see what you think about like the other movies that were released for the Bravado Giallo series. Uh, Until Death's actually, I think, the best one. Which is it's sort of like a horror remake of the Postman Always Rings Twice. Oh, nice! <laughs> yeah, they're all directed by Lamberto Bava. Mm-hmm. The one that probably most people probably know is The Ogre, which was also released as Demons Three here, okay. even though it has nothing to do with, de- with demons at all. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, Mike, was this a first time watch for you? It, it definitely was, and I'm wondering if the uh, 90 minute movie with kind of like the quick ending to or the the quick demise of death grim reaper guy was because with with it being a tv movie i'm not sure if other countries do what like they do here on tv where it's like everything's strictly to that time limit where they wanted to fit it in in the two hour time slot with commercials and all that because yeah that the way he goes out like a little bitch was like kind of I was kind of surprised by that. Um, but as far as the movie overall, the, my first impression was like, is this the cast of the Italian Saved by the Bell? That's yeah. starring in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> the main dude would like, look like he was dressed like Zach Morris. And then you had like a Jesse Spano looking girl. And then one dude could be Slater. But I, I think once the movie hits the catacombs, I actually like the design a bit. It almost kind of gave me like, uh, like an escape room or like a cube type thing where, you know, each catacomb, they they have to figure out how to get out of it and they go to the next one, end up getting kind of lost in it. And each each section, there's like some type of new thing, whether it's like an actual, you know, uh, creature or something coming alive that goes after them or just the room itself where they're trying to figure out the mystery. So I was actually pretty entertained by that. I, I liked it for the most part. It's like something great, but if there's enough there the with the set, I think the set looks cool. Like it, it's a fun movie to look at just uh, the inventive of what's going on i I definitely like the concept you know this is like one of the ones where like if you put it in the right hands i'd be interested to see like what someone could do with it with like a a bigger budget and um just it would have to be the right person making it though because you kind of have to get the pov of italian or cinema assuming it's it's like remade by another italian director but um I I had I had fun with it. Like I say, or like Venom said, it, it starts a little slow. You kind of got to hang in there, but it, it, the movie is about what goes on in those catacombs. So it's like you just got to try to hold out till we get to the catacombs, and then I think uh, you'll have fun from there on out. Uh-huh. Yeah, for sure. 
For sure. Now, 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 let's get into something completely different. <laughs> uh, also from the same year, 1989, uh, The House of Clocks, directed by Lucio Fulci. Uh, actually, funny story, because I just mentioned Until Death, which was the other Lamberto Bava movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, you know, Fulci and Dardino... Sachichi were actually like they had like a working collaboration. Uh, it was actually his supposedly his idea to actually do a horror version of the Postman Rings twice, and he told uh, Satichi this. And guess what? That's what ended their friendship. Was they made that TV movie? <laughs> you know. Crazy. But uh, yeah, House of Clocks, directed by Lucio Fulci. A uh, story by Lucio Fulci and written by Gina Franco Silcari, uh, who also uh, wrote uh, the two Bruno Mattei zombie movies that we did. <laughs> <laughs> what a pedigree! Uh, yeah, and Daniel Strappa. Don't sounds familiar. I'm, I have to look at his filmography later. But uh, yeah, uh, three low life punks are trapped in a posh villa while trying to rob it and become a, at the mercy of the murderous owners. Boom, how, wow, these fucking sp- synopsis is just... Well, have the power to stop and reverse time via their mystical clocks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'll save my thoughts for last. Venom. I, uh, this was not a first time watch for me, by the way, it was a second time watch. This was one that I watched sometime, I'd say like in the late nineties, like maybe 10 years after it came out and watching it this week, I, it actually reiterated what I thought of the movie. I love this movie. I, I, I'm not going to say that it's a great movie, that it's so incredibly well made that, you know, that it's objectively good. Uh, This movie is not great, but something about it speaks to me. I, I, from the very first minute to the very last minute, I am having an absolute blast with this movie. Um, Vittorio and uh, and Sarah, the the old couple in question that lives in the titular House of Clocks, are so goddamn charming. Like, (laughs) they're psychotic killers, obviously. I mean, we see them in kind of, not really a cold open, but in in one of the early scenes in the film, we actually see them... Uh, murder their maid Maria, but they do it with this weird kind of uh, smile and like enjoyment that it it almost rubs off on the viewer. Now, granted, I'm a dark, twisted uh, you know individual, so maybe that's just me kind of gravitating towards the villains. But yeah, I absolutely adored this couple. Every moment on screen that we had them, I just totally loved and. These were this were these were the characters that I was kind of alluding to uh, with uh, our last review with Graveyard Disturbance, where I was saying I would have liked to have seen more of our Harbinger, uh, especially early on before the kids got into the catacombs, because he was endlessly entertaining to me. And it's the same thing here. The, the, our old couple is just like I said, they're so char- they're so nonchalant about their murder, too. It's like they're not like. 
a ravenous, like, you know, frothing at the mouth type killers. They're both very subdued, very English and proper. You know, they're very, I don't think they're actually English, but they're just, they're so proper. They're almost Victorian, you know, and they're so nonchalant with their murder. Like, oh, you know, I killed Maria. Oh, don't worry. We already dug a hole for her. So we're fine. I mean, everything is so just matter of fact and nonchalant that I absolutely loved it. So when we actually lose our couple early, fairly early in the movie, like I'd say like a 30, 40 minutes in, um, unfortunately, we actually have a scene where our low life punks, as the synopsis called them, uh, break into their house and kind of, you know, accidentally, if you will, end up killing our older couple. Um, I was actually sad. I'm like, no, don't take away the only characters in this movie that I actually like this early in the film. Luckily, this is another a story of uh, kind of sort of undead, if you will. Um, you know, we heard in the synopsis how uh, all the clocks in the house will go backwards, almost like they're reversing time. At first, I thought we were um, getting a time loop movie. Like when we saw those cops show up the second time, I'm like, God damn it. This is going to end up being time loops, which I'm not the biggest fan of. Anybody who's heard us review uh, like Resolution or the Endless uh, movies like that knows I'm not a big fan of that. Um, but that's not where the movie ends up going. It's not necessarily time loops so much as just reversing time, which a little bit more acceptable for me. But yeah, this movie, I liked beginning to end. The ending of this movie actually started to look a little bit like Graveyard Disturbance in the sense that it seemed like our kids were getting out and everything was going to be normal. But then we actually do get a cool epitaph where a certain kitty cat in the film ends up getting his or her revenge from something that happened to it earlier in the film. And it, it to me, it was just the perfect ending. I'm like, oh, that was awesome. They actually end up getting out of the house, but then the cat that they forgot about ends up taking them out. I just, yeah, I this movie was just guilty pleasure, absolute joy for me. Like I said, I don't think a lot of people are going to be as high on this as I am, but for whatever it's worth, maybe it was just the mood I was in because I watched it right after work on Friday. So I, I had a, I had a really bad week this week. It was long. Uh, I got sick actually on one day this week, so I actually missed work on Wednesday. But uh, come Friday, end of my work shift, I popped on House of Clocks, and I swear, Derek, from beginning to end, I had a smile on my face. Yeah. It just it resonated with me. It worked for me. Obviously, I'm drinking a couple of beers, you know, enjoying some other libations as well, and. I just absolutely like I halfway through the movie, I actually started to think, is it just the alcohol or am I absolutely loving this movie? But yeah, I'm looking through, I'm look, going back, looking through all my notes and I have very little negative things to say about this. Obviously, if I'm going to be a hundred percent objective, yeah, there's some issues with the cinematography. There's some issues with some of the pacing early on, um, you know, maybe some of the performances, especially from our punks, maybe aren't as good as they could be, especially uh, one specific one. Uh, what was the Tony? I think was his name. The blonde guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. His performance. But Tony. Definitely, <laughs> he definitely could. What are you doing, Tony? <laughs> yeah, it fits. It's Italian horror month. So, yeah, we got to yeah. have a Tony in there somewhere. 
Um, I hate that they call him Victor. His, uh, in the credits, uh, the older gentleman's name is Vittorio. I like that so much better. If you want to shorten it, just call him Vito. I'm okay with Vito. But to change it for the English dub to Victor, I, I didn't really like. So I'm still calling him Vittorio. I don't care. I love that name. Um, but yeah, like I said, maybe this movie isn't going to work for everybody. It's got some limitations. It's got some, maybe even some confusing story elements to it that where you're questioning, like, well, wait a minute, if that's happening, then how can this be happening? You know, there's some logic issues here and there, but if you go into it with a clean slate, you know, um, try not to read too much into it. Try not to make too much sense of the third act and everything that's happening in the house. And, and then even with, you know, the kids kind of getting out of the house and that kind of leaving you scratching your head. It's like, if you can get through all that, I think that there's a really, really good time to be had with this film. Um, some great, ca- all three of our protagonists, uh, excuse me, all three of our antagonists, I thought were great. Even, uh, what's his name? Peter, the, the yeah. kind of butler handyman guy. I liked him too. Uh, it really bothered me that he kept wiping his eye. It's like, why don't you just wear a fucking eye patch if you're going to be rubbing your eye all goddamn day, but whatever. Well, she's going to have that eye horror somehow. I mean, God bless him for having the confidence to let that thing be shown all day. That torn up eye that's leaking fluid. You know, most people would hide it with a patch because they're embarrassed. But, you know, so I'll give Peter his credit. He's very comfortable with who he is. Uh, But the fact that he's constantly wiping it, it's like, goddamn, just cover it with gauze and put an eye patch over it just so that you're not constantly fucking. I mean, I know that was supposed to be a character element for Peter, but it was just bothering me after a while. Stop rubbing your eye. goddammit. it. But yeah, like I said, folks, overall, I had an absolute blast with this movie. I had a really good time with it. I don't think most people are going to have the experience that I had, but for whatever it's worth. When I watched it, it was the absolute perfect film to get me out of my funk from earlier in the week. And Derek, yeah, I'm so happy you picked this one because it just hit at the exact right time for me. And I I might go ahead and watch this again when we're done here because I I had a really good time with it. And it's an hour and 24 minutes. I mean, it's a quick watch, you know. Um, It gets to the action a lot quicker than Graveyard Disturbance did, at least. You know, at least we get a really juicy, gory murder fairly early. Uh, You know, the aforementioned uh, maid, Maria, that gets taken out. (laughs) They end up stabbing her with a pole, and when they pull the pole out, her fucking intestines come out with it. I thought thought that was fucking great. It looks like they stab her in the vagina with it. Oh, that's right. They got her right in the baby maker. Oh, that's I totally forgot about that. Like straight vagina shot. And then, like I said, they pull the thing out and it's all intestines just oozing out of the wound. Uh, and I, I, this is a TV movie. I was absolutely shocked. I mean, granted, it's Italy and I don't know what the TV standards are like out there. I'm sure they're more lax than they are here in America. But when I saw that kill, I'm like, well, you would never see something like that on TV here. Uh, so I totally appreciated that. But yeah, like I said, overall, I had a great time with this one. <laughs> nice, nice. Michael. All right. So, yeah, first time watch for me. My early impression was, OK, this is kind of interesting how the mechanism of the movie, how, you know, this old couple that we think for a few moments is endearing. <laughs> uh, you know, they have the, the hired help to kind of help around the house. And uh, then you find out, oh, they're actually 
murderers, like serial killers of some sort living in their house. And uh, so we get our setup and man, I thought this movie was fun. And I, you know what I like about the whole rewinding time with the clocks going backwards is it's kind of like once it's set in motion, it keeps going because it, it keeps going further, further, further back into the past. And then it even like ends up resurrecting the, uh, the one chick they kill at the beginning, which is freaking awesome. But yeah, you know, <laughs> overall I had a lot of fun with this. It's a very unique story and how it works and, and just all the other characters involved in it. Um, I like you know the fact of how our kind of band i always love movies where you have a set of criminals that end up somewhere where it's like oh my god do i gotta root for the criminals now because now there's this crazy uh murder house uh that they're in and it's like i shouldn't really be rooting for anybody here but let's just see where things go and then that's where like at that point in these types of movies it's like okay, just give me something fun and interesting to watch. And this movie did that. Um, yeah, I I liked it a lot my first time watching something I definitely want to revisit. And I think movies like these are so cool to discover because, you know, the name Fulci kind of elicits like a specific type of horror movie because that's what he's most, I, I guess, what most known for with the masses, just like straight up the zombie movies and the zombie gore. But then, like you, you get further into his filmography and movies like this pop up. We're like, yes, there is still some good looking gore in it, but he does do a lot of other stuff than just straight zombie movies. And if you have a good experience with like you know your his other stuff, it just makes you want to watch more and more of it. But man, yeah, I thought House of Clocks House of Clocks was really fun. I recommend it to everyone. Um, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought the care. I I did uh, like the housekeeper too. I like the fact that he was a pretty loyal housekeeper. Yeah. I love I love the fact when they first the old couple first gets resurrected, like they're walking around with their wounds and everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, man. And I, and I, I love they come back. So when you when the clocks resurrect them, it's like they don't really come back as zombies necessarily. Just as themselves but with like their wounds but they come back acting relatively like normal like they just are alive again i thought that was a nice touch right because when you read the synopsis or at least when i read the synopsis before seeing it i kind of got the idea like oh okay so these criminals are going to go there probably murder them and then they come back as like zombies for some reason but it's really not so much that which was a cool touch to it it kind of is subverted my expectations like how it all worked so really fun Nice, nice, yeah. Uh, I actually think this is one of the most underrated Fulci movies ever because you really hear no one ever talking about this movie when they talk about Fulci films. You know, it's mostly like the ones that, like the zombie stuff, like the Gates of Hell trilogy. Even like Manhattan Babies mentioned more than this movie, uh, which is shocking because it's actually, you know, really good. And he actually did two TV movies. Uh, this year uh the other one the sweet house of horrors is one of the worst movies he ever did <laughs> yeah it's pretty bad it's pretty awful but uh you know i'm glad he got all his expertise on this one a little bit more you know and uh if you didn't know uh 
the guy who plays Peter is actually Al Cliver, who's actually in a lot of Fulci movies. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, he's in Zombie, The Beyond. Uh, he's yeah, he's in uh, fucking the new Gladiators. He's in a bunch of like I think he's even in like the New York Ripper too. He's in ton. Nice. He's a, he's a staple of like Fulci and Jess Franco. That guy. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, good stuff. I really like it. Uh, I like the ending of this movie so much because mm-hmm. because the characters don't realize they actually did die because mm-hmm. they woke up. Oh, what happened? They're in this like it. It, it kind of ends the same way as another movie that I kind of love called Baskin. Yeah, they're, yeah, very true. They're in their mm-hmm. own hell because. After the car crashes, the clock starts to go back again. So yeah. they're going to live it again and again and again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's almost like once you start that process, it's like you're just stuck in it almost like a purgatory, like a clock-initiated purgatory or something. Uh, I did love that the cat got its revenge because, you know, that's probably the most hard-watching scene of this movie is when they have that oh. cat in that plastic bag. Dude, I almost watched this with Mrs. Venom, and for those who don't know, Mrs. Venom <clears throat> is a veterinary assistant for as a career. If she, if I would have watched that with her and she saw that scene, she would have fucking slapped the shit out of me and probably not spoke to me for a week. So, yeah, holy shit. It, it, it is an uncomfortable scene if you're an animal lover, but even if you're not an animal lover, it's still very sadistic. Like, it's one thing to shoot animals, but to, you know, to do what they do to this cat, just, yeah, very unnecessary. The only thing that I regret about the end of this movie is that the cat doesn't live. Mm -hmm. I would have loved what they should have done. And I know it's pandering. It's kind of fan service, but whatever. It's like after that accident, they should have just showed the cat, like, walk away. (laughs) <laughs> instead, instead, the cat's dead right next to the car. It's like, ah, it's still a satisfying ending, but it could have just been a tiny bit more satisfying. But that's okay. Yeah, At least but, the cat did get its revenge. But the way that I think about it is the cat's in the loop, too, so he keeps coming back to life and getting his revenge multiple times. <laughs> that makes mm-hmm. it, okay, now I like it even more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess the loop applies to animals, too, anything living. Yeah, it's living organic material. Because they did it with the canary earlier in the movie, the beginning right. of the movie. Yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, but yeah, House of Clocks, I I recommend it. I think we all do. It's very hard to find because I think the Shriek Show DVD is out of print. Oh. Uh, you can probably find it around. If you guys do want to check it out, just IM me. All right. <laughs> all right. It's a good movie. Sounds from good. One of the masters. So yeah, House of Clocks. All right, Mikey. All right. Well. Um, as oh, by we... the way, oh, oh, I, I forgot to mention that House of Clocks features three of the worst pot smokers ever. <laughs> Every fucking joint that they rolled, uh, fucking ran, had a giant run in it. And I, I know you non-pot smokers probably have no idea what I'm talking about, but all the pot smokers out there who roll their own joints know exactly what I'm talking about. These three were the fucking worst. Um, most horror movies make pot smokers look bad in general, 
But then the fact that these pot smokers couldn't even smoke pot right just bothered the shit out of me. So, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, all right, Mikey. <laughs> all right, yeah. Well, as we finish our discussion on House of Clocks, that means the clock is ticking on this episode. It's about to strike midnight. So, Venom, why don't you let everyone else or all the listeners actually <laughs> we should know me and Derek but let the listeners know uh, where you can be heard and what's the latest alright so on Creature Comforts episode 3 is in the can uh, I am in the process of editing that episode now I will probably have it ready for Thanksgiving weekend so um, I would imagine, I don't know, four or five days after you hear this episode, uh, the new Creature Comforts will be available. As I said, it's episode three. We looked at 1954's Them with our first guest on the show, Bo Ransdell from Legion Podcast. So check that out. Um, let's see. No new episodes of It's Not Horror or In the Mic of Madness uh, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, still just our return episode for In the Mic of Madness, our celebration of 1981. And still just the one episode uh, since our return of It's Not Horror, which was, of course, 1981's Dragon Slayer. Uh, ended up being a really cool commentary. A lot of the people on the show had never seen the film before, so... First time watch for a few of them, so it was pretty fun. Is that the one with Yanish? Is that uh, Dragon Slayer is the one with the boy girl, the girl pretending to be a boy through most of the film? Oh, okay, it's not the one with Peter McNichol. No, oh, actually, wait, no, yeah, this is Peter McNichol. Yeah, he's the guy. He's like the the the, the love interest to 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 that girl to the boy girl. Yeah, yeah, Yanish, the child. I forgot his name. No, you're right. Child. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, a very underrated movie. Um, I, I know Excalibur came out right around the same time. And Excalibur, of course, is like an Oscar-nominated movie that was hugely popular. And I think Dragon Slayer just got kind of buried under it. So it really didn't do a lot in the cinema. It, w it was a Buena Vista movie, which, of course, is Disney. Uh, it was one of Disney's uh, side Put it companies. On Disney Plus. Put it on Disney Plus. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, so... <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that's the latest episode of It's Not Horror Okay. I'm not sure what the next episode is. I'm not sure if the movie's been decided yet. Um, let's see. As far as uh, no new episode of Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space, but the episode that I've been talking about for the last month and a half was actually finally released recently. Uh, I, I didn't realize that the episode hadn't been released, as it turns out. Um, the host of that show decided not to release it in October because they figured October is so packed with all new horror podcasts. Uh, they were concerned that the episode might just get lost in the shuffle. So they just um, they decided to hold on to it until the first week of November. So it is officially available now. So check that out as soon as you can. Uh, we did take a look at Gamera versus Burrigan and continue our Ultraman retrospective. And then as far as guest spots go, um, I mentioned reviewing Child's Play. I did that on Bite Size Cinema with R.J. McCready. Uh, that was a fun, quick episode. Check that out. Uh, also available on Legion Podcasts. And my other guest spot for the month was on The Dark Parade. If you guys remember, I, I guested on the first two episodes of The Dark Parade looking at Psycho and Psycho 2. 
This time around, we looked at my favorite vampire movie of all time as we talked <laughs> to, at length earlier. The whole episode. review of it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, of course, Let the Right One In from Sweden. Uh, just an absolutely beautiful film. Uh, got to review that with Bo. And if anybody who listens to the Dark Parade knows, you know, we tend to go deep on the on those shows. You know, we're not just looking at the film at, at face value. We're, we're breaking down a lot of the commentary, breaking down a lot of the potential, as Mike mentioned, you know, Ellie's motivations throughout the film. Blah, blah, blah. So, uh, like I said, that episode should be available as you hear this one. So check that out. Also available on the Legion Podcast Network. And that's all for me, Mike. All right, Derek, uh, let's uh, hear what you got. Oh, shit, he's done. Fuck. Uh, uh, honestly, not much, because Venom named half of the shit that I'm on right at this moment. So this is kind of like the rare thing where it's like, I'm you now, Mike. Yeah. So uh, nice. the only thing I could add to that is Cinema Attack, Lisa episode on Italian zombie movies featuring special guest Nikki from the Slumber Party Massacre podcast. Nikki Williams. Yeah. Nice. The sister of the Lou. <laughs> yeah, she was on a couple fresh cuts way back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We actually talked about that off air before we, while we were recording. Uh, yeah, it was a good, great show if you guys haven't heard it yet. It's fantastic. I know Mike listened to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a fun-ass show. Good movies, too. I mean, all ones that I, I like. Yeah, where we did Zombie, Nightmare City, and Burial Ground. That damn kid! <laughs> oh, we talked to, we talked to great length, because they were all first-time watches for Nikki. <laughs> yeah, I, I figured, because once, um, once I saw your post about it, and I was like, oh, cool, Nikki's on the show, and then I saw the three movies, I was like... Uh, there's a good chance that these are first time watches for her and you threw her kind of into the fire there and she, she handled it pretty well. Like I was surprised, like I wouldn't say I was surprised, but it was just cool that to hear like her thoughts on it, uh, for seeing these for the first, you know, anytime someone is kind of covering unfamiliar ground for, you know, kind of like the universe of movies they've seen, it's kind of cool just to see what they think. Yeah. That's kind of how I like to approach shows sometimes. I like to, you know, give them first-time watches with... with, If I have a guest on, usually I like to have them with fresh perspectives, movies that they probably haven't talked about or seen. You know? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That was my whole idea. But, yeah, it was a good show. I like it. It was good. It was fun. (laughs) Once once Mike's daughters are old enough, they'll do a guest spot on the Evil Dead trilogy. <laughs> once he allows them to watch it. <laughs> and then, they'll funny. Come, then they'll come on my show and be like, hey, you want to watch Necromantic 1 or 2? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny because today, before football came on, uh, Army of Darkness randomly was on it. And- my, yo- my youngest was kind of watching like a few minutes of it, and she seemed somewhat interested so i'm like okay 
I, I got I got some ins here. <laughs> there you go. Well, Army of Darkness is like the tamest of the trilogy. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's it's a good way to be like, okay, there's Ash, but uh, you're not gonna, you gonna see the tree. Gonna you're not gonna see the tree rape until you're like 15. Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. Mike's just gonna edit that scene completely out and then show them the movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because if they have, what if you like my dad and just watch, make them watch RoboCop? <laughs> I mean, I probably saw RoboCop relatively young when it first came out. Yeah, my dad was pretty open. He didn't, he didn't really care. He was like, yeah, until you watch it like later on in life and you see that scene where Peter Weller gets killed again. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, I watch this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, my dad was pretty much. If you got questions, ask. I was like, okay. Yeah. How does he pee? All right. Well, Is well, I did, Yeah, that's it for me. And you know, just just end this song. End this show with fucking that song Venom hates. Just, just <laughs> piss him off. Yeah, why not? Fuck it. If I can find it, yeah. Sure. I can send you the link to it. There you go. <laughs> Hell yeah. All right, cool. Um, As far as I go, yeah. Like Derek said, Venom pretty much mentioned it. I I do have an appearance coming up on the 12 Days of Chase Smith set. I, I want to say that episode. Oh, well, I, I, have one of the, yet, I actually so. have one of those two coming up. I didn't want to mention it because we didn't record it yet. Yeah, mine hasn't been recorded yet either, but I assume it'll be out before our next episode. So, um, yeah, I'm the movie I drew is Elf, so we'll be talking. <laughs> of course, I drew Elf. I rather watch fucking Elf than the one I got. Fucking Home Sweet Home Alone. Ugh. Watch it yet? Is it bad? Oh, I hell no! I I have not watched one minute of a Home Alone movie ever, and oh, I intend okay. to keep it that way. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah um but other than that pretty much uh just keep on listening to no more room in hell our other shows uh fresh cuts the new episode that'll be coming within a couple days and yeah that's really all i got um probably this will be our only episode for november unless last minute we do like a commentary I mean, we there's always there's probably enough time left to do that if we decide to. But um, other than that, December will be back, and uh, I would you know don't be surprised if the picks happen to be related to Christmas horror, but maybe not. It's not a guarantee. Oh no, you know, it's Mike's picks so. again. Fuck. <laughs> Mike's gonna go basic bitch on us. <laughs> oh man. Eh, sometimes basic bitch could be good unless he picks like Killer Crocodile. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, we never have to do that again. Oh, there's a sequel then. Yeah, there's still know. Killer Crocodile Part Two. So oh, okay, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be sick that day. Uh, all right, and with that, uh, that's going to do it for No More Room in Hell number forty. Thanks everyone for listening. Uh, we'll be back with episode forty-one, and uh, with that, let's say goodbye to the listeners. Goodbye. Buongiorno, la cosa Luigi, mia Mario, arrivederci, arrivederci. We lost all our Italian listeners.
Oh, he, did, did, do we have any? You did or no? Don doesn't listen to us. Oh, no. Oh, no. Maybe we'll get some feedback that just says, grazie, grazie. There you go. <laughs> excuse, excuse. <laughs> <laughs>